good people welcome back to the onyx report black masculine news for the day oh man it's been a busy one been a busy one but i am glad my audience has been patient i've had brothers reaching out to me about a long list of events things that are going on they wanted me to weigh in on so i'm just getting started with my catch-up game so um i will uh i will catch up Nevertheless, appreciate y'all being here. You know what I mean? What we trying to do, like, share, subscribe, join, and donate. Support the channel if you would. Shout out to MLR for the Cash App, as well as Dark Power. Much appreciation. Shout out to Death Before Dishonor. Says salute. Salute to you as well. You know what I'm saying? Um, see a lot of the brothers coming in early. I'm glad to see it. Folks in here. What's up, Malika? In the house with a generous donation as well as ghetto user was good appreciate that it says support for the scholar where am i go just on there we go it says on your left man i needed that man it's been a rough week getting a lot in so y'all make sure you support so we can continue to do what we do shout out to layman's journal in the chat what's good with you man hope y'all are supporting the layman's journal channel um Got Vincent in the house, Wesley, Ronan, David, right? Creative, Walimu, what's up? Stardust, what's going on? Got Raheem, Pragmatic Prime, you know what I'm saying? Dr. Thunder, what's good with you, man? Hope y'all are supporting the Dr. Thunder channel as well, right? Our Future MD, all right. Uh, let's see who else. We got High Scholar in the house. See. We got Bangs, PK Angel, KJ Eternal. Um, a lot of brothers up in here. Good to see. You. Good 
Good to see, man. Um, shout out to Josiah, Cynical Optimist, Chef's Mike. Oh, Chef Mike, excuse me. What's good, man? Good to see you. Dr. Smith, what's up, man? Ain't seen you in a minute. Hope you're good. Encrypted Wolf, AM, what's good? Hey, Ru. What's going on with it? Well, y'all know what it is, man. We're trying to handle everything. It's been a lot happening. I uh, had to take uh, my son up to his, his school, get him registered. So that was interesting. Well, something there, though, it tripped me out. So there were a good few hundred students there. And, um, you know, obviously, I'm not going to tell you what university, because some people on here, you never know what, what they're willing to do, you know. But that said, you know, a good few hundred students that are going to start in the fall, so on and so forth. I only saw three black males, including my son. So that was a little interesting. And then there was this. I don't know if you guys are going to really be able to see this very well. Appreciate that support, Molly uh, Moo. Appreciate that. Um, so these are the name tags that were pretty much left on the table after most of the students picked up. They're not named. They're just uh, generate. Yeah, they're name tags. They're name tags. So the ones on the right basically, you know, have to do with, you know, speaking English. The ones in the middle are all the they, them, and all the, you know, out there pronouns or whatever and the ones on the far left are for males right now what you may not notice is that there were virtually none left for females because the majority of the student population at least in terms of the group coming in were female so when we were up there I, i'd say at least a good 80 to 85 percent female now you know so my son's the only one that's six foot ten locks hanging and it was funny because, uh, you know, I didn't really get to see him interact. They split the parents and the students. Right. So after a good couple hours, I had several, <laughs> several of the mothers run up to me to tell me that their daughters had introduced them to my son. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, you know, I started to be like, oh, you know, it's my son. But then I was like, man, shut up. You know, damn, it ain't but three brothers in this place. And the kid is towering over everybody. So. It was just funny to me, you know, but it is what it is. I couldn't tell if they were, what their attitude was. They, took, they looked a little scared. <laughs> their daughters and their daughters were approaching him. He ain't approached nobody. He's just in there chilling. They're running up to him, striking up conversations. So I'm trying to tell him, you got a lot. You got a lot coming at you that I don't think you fully understand yet. <laughs> Yeah, so this is going to be an interesting four years, man. That's all I would say. I'm going to supply the kids with the requisite number of prophylactics, but he'll, he's he not really ready. He's not ready. He ain't, you know, he, he ain't really focused on girls too much. He's been doing his thing, and he didn't think he was visible to them at all. So <laughs> that's starting to change. <laughs> What's up, AM? Appreciate the support. <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, some of y'all might be able to, to, you know, to remember that or, or had or may have had that experience when you were young, where at one point you really didn't feel visible, and then all of a sudden. Anyway, <laughs> so shout out to my son. That's going on. Also, just to remind everybody, let me see if I can make sure I put this up. Do a little more press for this, but. You know, don't forget the book on Rutledge will be out soon. It's available for pre-order on July 12th. 
and then will ship after August 2nd. The book is Solutions for Anti-Black Misandry, Flat Blackness, and Black Male Death, The Black Masculine's Turn. So look out for that. I'll put the link in the live chat for those who want to glance at it, put it in your records, make sure you support um, so that we can, uh, we can get it going. I mean, these are mainly arguments and uh, thoughts that came about from the discussions on this show, right? So this is not just me sitting in a classroom coming up with various things. This is the dialogues we've been having. So shout out to y'all for the support and make sure you go check it out when it comes out. So it's coming out soon and that's what it is, right? Uh, Stardust says that was me in eighth grade, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're going to have to have some Jonathan Major conversations. We've been having them for years, but it's a whole different thing when the shit gets real. You know, it's one thing when you're talking about it and it feels abstract. It's another thing, when, you know, they're knocking on your door, they're rolling up on you. You know, it is what it is. So got that out the way. Um, so we're going to deal with this Dr. Umar Johnson thing. And uh, I'm going to play, you know, the 12-minute segment from his interview with the Daily Wrap-Up crew. I wanted to do it last week. I just got too caught up. So I got a lot of things to catch up on. I got to catch up on this. I definitely got to catch up on um, the one who pit-bulled her, her son, you know, um, young man who just got out having shot another uh, guy at a, at a restaurant or whatever. So I had to deal with that. Jonathan Majors, I've had some specific requests to deal with that. So I got a number of things to catch up on. I was also going to deal with Travis and Rebecca Lynn Pope. So, you know, just a few things I'm going to weigh in on over the course of the next week or so. Uh, our future MD one says watching Dr. Umar tell me I'm responsible for sisters dealing with Pookie's kids. I needed this level setting session. Square up Dr. T. Well, I, I hope, I hope you get what you need out of it. We shall see. Um, let's see. We got Clay Bisbee. A salute, Doc. Got to take my son to WSU this month uh, for his first visit. Who say single fathers can't raise sons? Real talk. Real talk. Because it's just been me and him for ooh, the last 15 years. Uh, 14? Last 14 years? Yeah. So, you know, one of those days, man, you get ready for, but it's still, it's it's real when it's real. And, um, you know what I'm saying? When you when you when you get in luggage for your child, you know, to move out, that's it's real, you know. So anyway, that's what it is. So I'm gonna play a, a little clip from that and we'll get into it. I'm gonna stop and go along the way. Uh hopefully there won't be any issues with that technologically or copyright wise. Um, my understanding is daily wrap up crew said they were open, you know, to people uh playing it as long as the credit is due. So I will be crediting them in the de uh, description box when we're done. Uh, but real quick, before that, I do want to say there was a, a, a purposeful hesitation as well on my part for some of these issues. Um, uh, Travis, you know, NFL player, uh, Rebecca Lynn Pope, Umar Johnson, you know, I wanted to get at these earlier, but something made me just kind of sit back for a minute. And what I observed uh, from myself and from, from y'all made me proud, actually made me very proud. Because what I realized I was doing is I was trying to see if the work we've been doing is getting out there. I was really trying to see if brothers were listening and willing to apply. And man, yeah, 
I saw brothers speaking up in ways that I have never seen in my lifetime at old shaming tactics that used to work that no longer do. You know, even when we talk about Umar, but Umar and Rebecca Lynn Pope in particular, you know, the statements they've been making about black men this last few weeks, these are very old shaming tactics that, that have worked at least since the 1970s, especially the 80s. And I never really saw brothers push back in any major way, you know. Um, I mean, in one sense, we didn't really have the platforms, but even in casual conversations, even in barbershops, I didn't always hear it. But in this last few weeks, I have heard brothers pushing back and using concepts and terms that we've developed from proxy violence to, you know, the sign language. And, and they've been openly checking people about their assumptions regarding black men. And I got to I got to admit, man, you know, I, I that was my whole purpose at the beginning. Coming on to YouTube was to create the terminology that we can use to basically advocate for ourselves. Terminology that suits our position and, and can help us articulate what's going on. And witnessing brothers do it, I just, I'm alive, man. There's a couple times I welled up. I really did. There's a couple times I welled up because I saw the shit drop. I saw, you know, the same critiques that I've been hearing since the 80s, you know, especially from certain black women and and all of a sudden, I saw these this wave of brothers, you know, from YouTube to Twitter to Facebook to emails to casual in-person conversations. I've even had videos shared with me where brothers are pushing the fuck back on this stereotypical, you know, misandric kind of push. And, uh... Oh, and then I'm seeing a wave of content creators that are coming out and, you know, y'all know I support Growth Talk with Kofa. We got Layman's Journal, you know, Medium Man doing some excellent work. And I'm seeing this wave of brothers that are speaking up in ways that, you know, I think really were framed in the last decade. But over the last four or so decades, I just, I, I there was a point where I never thought I would see a day when that's happening. So I am so proud of the brothers that don't take that shit and refuse to let people just arbitrarily down downplay and underdevelop black men. And I, I mean, really, man, y'all. What's up, Art Newstall? Good to see you in here. Electrician 480. Appreciate that support. But yeah, man. And, you know, and brother, so brothers are speaking up and then they're shooting me messages like, oh, you know, respond to this doc. And I'm, I'm looking at him like you just did. You just did. I mean, I'm I'm so lit, man, that I'm seeing this and I'm curious to know where it goes. You know what I'm saying? Um, you know, this is why I also mentioned the book, because we're, we're going to keep pushing this. But at the end of the day, I just wanted to get that on the table, man. That was part of my hesitation. Yeah, I was busy, but. Also, something was just like, just let's see what's going on. Let's see where we're at. Let's check the temperature. And all I know is black men are heating up and they're not taking this shit. And they're willing to go to lengths that nobody thought they would. Nobody thought they would, man. There was a good, comfortable kind of posture that I think, especially in the black community, many women took about black men for generations. They took the, it's almost the idea that Black men are just going to take whatever we give them because they don't have a choice. And this is this is really how I think a lot of black women saw black men. 
They don't have a choice. They got to deal with us. And we're just going to give them our ass to kiss. I mean, really, in many instances, I've seen that kind of posture from women. And for the first time in my life, in this last, especially in this last six or seven years, I've seen brothers just say, you know what? No. No. If you can't extend the basic level of respect that we as black men, and this is not only to black women, this is to society at large as well. Black men have been willing to take their ball and go home or leave the country. And here's the thing. I'm not mad at none of it. I don't judge it. I'm not mad at it. I don't look. There was a time where I was such a diehard nationalist that, you know, I, you know, I, I sounded like everybody else. You know, I went to temple. That was the thing. But after you lived for a little bit, there's certain things that I just was really like, nah. Like, first of all, at this point in my life, I don't give a damn where you find your happiness. I don't care if you're a monk that likes to play video games. I don't care if you found a woman from Nova Scotia and you happy. I don't care if you're an internationally renowned whatever. As long as you found your peace, whatever form that takes, and you're willing in some way, shape, or form to help other brothers find theirs or figure it out, you got my support. My whole my whole situation has changed in regard to that, man. I'm I found out how hard it is for brothers to find their peace. And I found out how few people give a damn if we do, including some of us. We're willing to go to war with each other to make sure whatever your piece is falls in someone else's definition. Fuck that. Find it. I don't care what you're doing. I don't care if it's ballroom dancing, bowling. I don't give a damn. Whatever it is that you found that brings you peace. Share that piece. Let other brothers know what process you went through to find it. Because at this point, this shit we're doing, going to war with each other, shaming each other over nothing, which is really a lot of what Umar was doing. We'll get into that. Um, AWS 21st says we need to have a black men advocating conference or cyber town hall on black men winning strategies. I'm not mad at that. Not mad at that. R. Jizzle, appreciate that support. Uh, Wrench Turner, what's good, man? He says, on the wood, Doc. You know, uh, thank you for all that you do. No, thank you for the support, man. All right. Shout out to uh, Phipps Deuce. Uh, says, women have, women have children with a small group of men that don't want to be fathers or husbands, but it's my fault. I'm married with five kids. It's the childless 20-something man's fault. This guy's a joke. I hear you. We're going to go there. Uh, Adisa, what's good with you, brother? Waiting to hear from you, hopefully tonight. It's all good tomorrow. Let me know. You know, we got brothers uh, who are jumping into that passport life, man. So right now I'm I'm, I'm asking them to share their stories with me. Dead set. What's good with you, man? Yeah. So without further ado, let's jump into this. As I said, I'm going to stop it at random points whenever something hits me. Um, I haven't reviewed it in a little while. I had some thoughts primed up, but I let them go. So we're just going to go through it raw. And uh you know, some of y'all are interested. Maybe I'll bring y'all up. It's up to you. But let's uh, let's get some of this going here. So I'm going to bring it up. Give me a one if you can hear it. As soon as I do. Here we go. No man, right? So, that's just that, that's pain speaking, though. Right. Okay. So let's let's back it up just a tad. Yeah. All right. So give me a one if you heard that little clip, that little sound uh, moment for a second. There we go. Got some ones. All right. So backed it up a little bit. Let's continue. Let's go. 
So, you know, obviously, you know, a big thing, obviously, we, we spoke about the, the gender wars, you know, earlier. Um, obviously, there's a lot of conversation nowadays about, you know, the value of what a woman brings and the value of a, what a man brings in a relationship. And now there's a lot more rhetoric from our women that we hear is I'm strong, independent. I don't need no man. Right. So, that's just that, that's pain speaking. About right. Because most black women know they will never get a man. Okay, first of all, a couple things. The whole notion of a gender war, it's only been called that recently. But many black men, now remember, I'm Gen X, so I'm 48, almost 50. I remember the one-way assault, in, especially in public media, but in the mainstream and in the black community, the black community's mainstream, I remember the one-way assault against black men. And nobody called it a gender war. For the most part, they just talked about it as black women's truth. And black men had to shut up and take it. And if you tried to oppose it or push back against it, there was something wrong with you. So I find it interesting that when black men finally start speaking the fuck up, now all of a sudden it's a gender war, which has a negative connotation that is low-key Jermaine's fault, black men's fault, right? Because at the end of the day, the response suggests it's a war, right? Now, the first thing Umar does... And let's just put this in context, man. The man is is building a school supposedly with funds. But we already know, especially on YouTube, you know, if you want to do well as a black man on YouTube, you got to either appeal to white folks or women. That just is what it is. If you're if you're if you're talking to black men for black men and that's it, you're already going to be relegated to a small corner. If you want to bust out of that, you got to choose who you want to talk to. So Umar, in my humble opinion, is uh, this is a uh, what do you pull it? Uh, this is the season, right? This is the donation season. So to me, he's giving him a pass, and he's doing it on purpose, right? I mean, there's this. This is the kind of what do you call it? Uh, it's the kind of uh, you know pissing up, pandering that one does if you want to secure resources. It doesn't work if you're going to hardcore critique women and then turn around and ask them to fund something. Right. So this whole question of when uh, when the question is raised about not needing a man, first thing Umar does is, well, that's just pain, meaning it's we need to dismiss it because we're in pain and we're going to hear more about why he suggests that. But there's very little accountability. Now, I will be one to say I've heard him hold black women accountable. Um, it's just not been in the same time period where this type of funding has been needed. So I do think that there's been a pivot on his part, but I won't suggest that I've never heard him be critical you know, of that, of women and, and women's behavior in the black community. I won't say I've not heard him do that, but he's definitely pivoted as this has gone on. And so what we're hearing in this conversation is a lot of uh, deference to them, a lot of, you know, uh, you know, shift in blame. And we'll hear more of it in a second. A black woman can have sex whenever she wants. Right. Because she's beautiful. She can have a bed mate, but to have a soul mate, she may never get. I have two daughters, 11 and 20, mm. right? My oldest would be 21 this week. Statistically, right? There's a strong chance my daughter could be one of those. I hope she's not. She could be one of those who never get a husband because only one out of four gets a husband. You see that? So when a black woman says, I don't need a man, that is a reaction to the reality that I may not get a man. So why not preach? Because I understood... You know, you're you're obviously against interracial relations when it comes to black Absolutely. men with black women. I mean, with white women. With all um, women, you should only be with the black woman. And you will say, "Well, if you can't find," yeah, 
See, I'm already, I'm, I'm, yeah. Like I said, I used to have that opinion. I'm in a different place now because I've seen how few people, including other black men, uh, have been taught to prioritize themselves, their own well-being, their own emotional well-being, their own being, period. You know, and the reality of it is every racial group is going to overwhelmingly prioritize themselves when it comes to dating, mating and marriage. So that's not going away. You know, it's not going away. But for the brothers that find their peace, wherever they find it, salute. Right. This type of, you know, for me, this this type of a judgment, I think, is counterproductive, especially when black men are left um, with nothing but a negative you know, kind of critique. But here we go. On a good woman in America, there's like, else. And absolutely. Africa. So why not teach that same rhetoric to our women? Like, if you, I do. If you feel I like tell you... sisters all the time, go to Africa. So I then... know sisters who marry. I just I just uh, spoke with a sister. She invited me to the wedding. She just married a brother from the continent. So, but instead of saying they they would never I'll get take married, I'll take sisters to Africa who married brothers they met right. in Africa. Right. So yeah, I, I think there's plenty. There's plenty. I think there's obviously. And this is the thing, as far as that's concerned. Black men are not the ones that are complaining about interracial relationships. I don't care if it's um, Meghan Markle. I don't care if it's uh, what's her name, uh, uh, Venus. I always get them two sisters mixed up. But you know what I mean. Like black men are not the ones complaining when we see black women engaged in interracial relationships. Black men don't complain about black women getting with African men. Black men don't complain about these things. It's not us. We're not the focal point in terms of that. Black men are actually pretty progressive as far as that. Is that we just take it like you know? There we go. So Dub Will says, Serena, thank you. Right. Black men are not the ones complaining about this kind of thing when it comes to this whole question of who folks should date. We don't really roll like that, you know, but we are finding that as we start to expand internationally, uh, here's the thing, too. A lot of people overlook. There's a lot of brothers that have found women that are of African descent. They found them in South America in the Caribbean and Africa. They've even found them in Europe and Asia. So it's you know so this kind of low key stereotype that the only reason passport bros are leaving the country is to find white women or you know whatever it's it's really it's a slandering um, stereotype. But at the end of the day, like I said, man, if you happy, you happy because that that is not a given for black men. It really isn't. I grew up at a time period where I saw old black men either in relationships that they were thoroughly unhappy. Now, there was a, I, I met a select few, a very small percentage of men that I, I, you know, I couldn't tell if they were happy or unhappy. So I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. But more often than not, I saw a lot of old men who were either extremely unhappy in toxic relationships, right? Or nobody checked on them at all if they were alone, right? So again, I'm not upset. Where you find it? Find it. See, plenty of black men, yes, black it is. women, so and what I also tell black women, married, if you're going to go get you an African man from the continent, right. you're going to have to understand that the way in which you talk to black men in America mm. will not be tolerated over there. Mm -hmm. Why the it, fuck is it tolerated It's not tolerated here. That's what we're trying to tell them. Well, over here, I want to say this to us, though, mm. because we try to act like the way sisters treat us doesn't have a history that we are not at least partly responsible for. Let's be honest. Mm. The black woman has had to hold down the black house by herself, mm -hmm. although imperfectly, mm -hmm. she's had to do it by herself since the mass incarceration of black males began in the 1970s. Yeah. That is absolute bullshit. That is absolute bullshit. 
first and foremost, when you're gonna talk about the, the holding down the black house, the, the fundamental breakdown of the black family doesn't start in the 1970s with the mass incarceration. It begins to break down a couple decades prior, especially right after World War II. As we're migrating, the great migration, as we're migrating out of the South, especially to get out of sharecropping, black families are moving into the Midwest, the East Coast, and the West Coast for that matter, the more we actually begin to move into these spaces and we, we come into this dynamic where, uh, especially when the soldiers from World War II come back and reclaim their factory jobs, you have black men that have very few means to find secure employment. And then you have this beginning in the opening of the welfare state, right? And this begins the massive push of black men out of the family, right? This is not something that black men are doing on purpose. And this is not something that, um, you know, black men are, are, are purposely trying to undo. This is the reality of our condition. We're talking about a fairly wealthless group with no inherited wealth to speak of. And that, that's only changed marginally in relation to other groups. So at the end of the day, this kind of generic push to blame black men for this is really ham-handed and it's deflective. It's deflective and it really undermines the extent to which you had a developing culture, particularly among black women in the black community, to not only blame black men, but develop uh, even more so uh, a concerted, uh, low-key, boiling contempt for black men that's passed down generationally. So to just arbitrarily make this about black men, but not articulate fully what's going on is a disservice understand me mm -hmm. most of our children are raised by a single mother right now mm -hmm. and it has been that way for about 50 years right right around the time where the state made it possible for them to do such without needing men and that was something that i grew up hearing from women not only in direct conversation but also in the music and in the culture and the movies we started to see this and this is partially how it was handed down multi-generationally i saw this from grandmothers to mothers to daughters to granddaughters passed down where the social expectation was that she become the head of the household. And in turn, men became only useful for temporary entertainment, uh, uh, sperm, maybe some degree of protection, but there was no for, you know, no structured sense of a man's role, even when he was ready to play one. So you have generations of men who found themselves trying to marry like their fathers and their grandfathers, but receiving a pushback that their grandmothers and great grandmothers never gave you know, their male, uh, you know, ancestors. So what you're having is this kind of pushback that is state financed, state supported, and it produces an entitlement. And with that entitlement and expectation that black men are lesser beings. So this push to have a single headed household is not something black men initiated, nor is it something black men initiated simply out of failure. It's something that was state sponsored that many women took to because they could. And many have talked about this dynamic as well, right? This is something that we saw with, um, uh, what is it? Um, oh my goodness, what is the generation? Um, I can tell I've been on, I've running around this last few weeks, I'm forgetting everything. Um, but this is something that, you know, my grandmother's generation really pushed, pushed when it came to my mother's generation. And I saw my mother's generation do it with, you know, my generation, it's from women to women, the idea was that, you know, we may have needed men, but ideally we don't want you to have to, right? So you had a lot of younger women um, coming about that grew up with this belief that they weren't needed. Exactly, the boomers, right? 
Boomers were the last generation of women that were, were essentially uh, wives to that extent. Shout out to Adisa, appreciate that support. Right? They were the last generation. What's up, Ian? Good to see you, man. Ian in here supporting, appreciate that. Um, but they were the last generation of wives. But one of the things they taught their daughters was how not to be one. And I remember growing up in that environment, right? We were the generation Gen X where our mothers taught us how to cook and clean as men, right? So that we wouldn't have to, the way, the way it was worded is so we wouldn't have to rely on a woman. Really what it was, was they didn't want future women to have to play that role. They wanted to break up this gender role dynamic where everything was quote unquote equal. Here's the problem with that though. This idea where everything is equal, everything's the same is a misnomer, right? Because in as much as that was the rhetoric they used, the social expectation from grandmother to mother to daughter was still, and this is a strange mix of ideas. It was still that he needed to be in a position to protect and provide, but you don't need to be a wife to him. You can do whatever you want. You can have kids, you cannot have kids. You can be a stay-at-home wife, you can work full-time, you can work part-time, you can adopt, you can not do anything at all, you can have an abortion. You can do all of these things as a woman. But the expectation of men is that he still be the protector and provider. So here you have this kind of conditional conservative family approach where men have to stay the same thing they've been since the 1950s and onward. But women can be whatever mystical, magical being they want to, knowing full well that even if that leads to, you know, a pushing him out of the family, which can easily happen, especially when you look at the institution she has at her at her behest, right? When you talk about family court, so on and so forth, all of these different institutions that are available to her can very easily push men out the house. She knows now that whether she's, uh, you know, a welfare level, or she's getting state resources, or she's white collar and college middle class, and she can go get a degree and get a mid-range white collar job. In either context, she can now do it without men. Those, re those dynamics, those are institutionally based dynamics. Those offered her a range of options that previous generations of women didn't have. Yet, there was still an expectation that Black men still be in a position to provide and protect that is until she's no longer happy. And when she's no longer happy, she can pull the plug, get resources out of them in terms of child support and continue on to the next one. Because, right, happiness is just easy for people to maintain, right? No. So when his sister says, I don't need a man because she couldn't find one strong enough to hold her down. Or when you meet a woman and you. First of all, that is absolute bullshit as well. And when I hear this, this kind of statement about men not being strong enough, it is such a profound smack in the face to generations of black men. I was just thinking about this earlier today when I was running some errands. I was thinking about how many people I run across, men and women, who have stories about grandfathers and great grandfathers that made incredible sacrifices for family, incredible sacrifices for the people around them, confronted racism, built, built things with nothing out of nothing, right? And yet these were never men that had the six figures of their day. These were often men that came from very little and still to this day command the respect of descendants. And yet when we make these kind of arbitrary random statements about weak black men, so many brothers have been holding it down. And, they, and it doesn't even have to be fantastical stories about confronting the clan by yourself. It's even fathers that raise kids on their own for years and just didn't say anything about it or supported women that had kids. I grew up in the generation of the stepdaddy. 
it was so common when I was coming up. I thought it was just going to be a requirement. I, you know, when it, when you asked me when I was up to maybe 16, 17 years old, if you asked me what my family was going to look like, I assumed at that time that I would probably end up marrying a woman with kids. That's how frequent and common it was. But black men didn't get celebrated for doing that. They didn't get patted on the back. If anything, it became these kind of generic statements about weak black men. Say, sister, I'm, I'm strong enough to be a man. You ain't got the work or you ain't got to pay the bills or whatever. Pull back. I got you. And she can't do it because all the other men before you mm -hmm. who disappointed her. Mm -hmm. So what I'm saying is black. Okay. So this whole question of men who've disappointed her, it's a one-sided framework that, that really isn't realistic. It really isn't realistic. And it can, it's consistent with the practice of ignoring black male voices and stories. Because if I ask the brothers just on the in the in the comment section, how many of you have been disappointed many times by different women that you've tried to develop some type of project with over the years? The, the stories would clog the comment section. This is not a one sided dynamic. This is not something that men initiated. Hell, a lot of the young brothers I run into, and I've said this before, are still looking for wives. They're still looking to build families. They are. I've met brothers who are passport bros that are still looking for families and wives. This idea that somehow black men just wrecked this and left black women hanging, it's, it's, it's superficial, but it also serves the interest of pandering to women who you want to donate to. Because how many women have we seen share these clips from Umar? Right? From shorts to videos, and they're patting him on the back and saying, yep, we see, we told you. But here's the thing. I've been talking about this, and this is partially the title of my book, but I've been talking about this for the last couple of years. I talked about what I call the black masculinist turn. And I cited uh, Ice Cube talking to the cocktails with Queens. I cited, you know, a series of different situations like that where brothers got tired of the maligning, of the slander. They got tired of it. And what they decided to do was entertain options that were never uh, something black men had voiced entertaining in the past, right? And so with that, this black masculinist turn, what I'm talking about is there are events that take place in the public that reveal to black men how we're seen and how we're actually treated. You know, it, it, another one, for example, is, is the death of Kevin Samuels. Now, this isn't about whether or not you liked or agreed with Kevin. It's not about that. Because there were brothers that, that die hard did not agree with anything Kevin Samuel said. But when they saw the level of contempt for Kevin, where these women were literally throwing parties and dancing on his grave, you had brothers that were like, oh, it's like that, right? And I've said this before, we can look at, at feminists over the last few decades that maligned black men in incredible ways. And you did not see black men throwing parties to celebrate their deaths. You didn't. This was a one-way dynamic. And, and just the level of um, negativity, the level of bile coming out at black men in different contexts, this is what I'm referring to as the black masculinist turn where men see this and really get a, a, a kind of a red pill smacked to the face about how they're actually seen, even in their own families. You have some families, some men that have heard this their whole lives, but it took a certain moment into their adulthood to finally hear. Even the women in their own families negate their very existence 
And it takes until that moment for them to say, holy shit, this is what's going on. That's what I call the black masculinist turn. And what I, the reason I bring that up is I think Umar's statement here, right, became just that. Shout out to AK, um, AKs and Curtains, appreciate that support. I think that's exactly what happened here. I think when Umar released this, now I don't think he cares in one sense because you, you know when you're trying to raise funds, when you're trying to get attention, even negative attention is attention. But at the end of the day, I don't think people anticipated that black men would blow back this way. And it's not just the brothers online, it's brothers at every level, whether they're, par whether they're participating in public media or not. They're responding. And this is a, you know, this has become yet another black masculinist term, listening to this, because what Umar is saying has been fairly common in the last few, you know, last few decades, been fairly common. This is very much a nationalist kind of uh, response to black men who are questioning what role they should play. Shout out to Hurricane Greg, appreciate that. Shout out to Chosen 1997, right? Appreciate that. Here we go. Man, we gotta be patient with our women because we created that personality. We gotta be patient. First of all, we've been patient. Black men have been the most patient group. Do you Kevin, I remember Kevin used to tell stories about being in the workplace and other racial groups of men would approach him and ask him in, in a, as respectful a way as possible, how do you tolerate your women's treatment of you? I've had private conversations with Kevin as well where he talked about that very thing, right? Where other groups of men didn't understand how we could tolerate it. And we got generations. Matter of fact, for black men, Tolerating this shit is a language we've grown up speaking because you learn even as a toddler that your well-being depends on her moods. So you learn how to interpret, how to adapt, how to seduce women that really hate your guts. I mean, if any of you watched BGS's show yesterday, he was talking to a woman that came into the show with nothing but hostility for him. By the end of the show, she was damn near on one knee thanking him. Learning how to talk to people that don't see you as a viable human being is something we grew up doing. We watched women that hated, and, and, and I'm not talking about all of us, of, of course, but we, many of us grew up watching women that hated you because you look like your father, but you learned how to talk to her to get what you needed, how to soothe her, how to make her feel good. And that translated to going out into the world and talking to women, women that sometimes had a low opinion of you for things you couldn't even control. I grew up in the 80s, man. The, the whole dark skin thing for men was real. I remember it. And I saw women that would outright tear you apart in public if you tried to seduce them or talk to them or get their number simply on the basis of how dark you were or how much money they perceived you to have or not have. And yet I saw men move around those things and walk away with her number or walk away with her on a date or whatever. We learned how to interpret and move past these kind of barriers because we all grew up with them or many of us did. Here we go. We created that. And then we, we want to uh, act like we didn't play a role. We have to be held accountable for their poor selection. No, you have to be held accountable. No, you have to be held accountable because they have a poor selection. This is bullshit. This is bullshit. First of all, there's a class distribution in every group, right? There is. The problem we have, most particularly in the black community in the West, is that we have a bit of a conundrum happening in our community, right? We're in one vein, 
starting with Generation X being the first generation to primarily be raised in single parent households more than any other that led up to that, we were conditioned to serve black women, right? So that you got that on one end where mothers raised you to be the men that they didn't have, right? So you have that dynamic. And yet at the same time, you had to navigate this kind of contempt you had, they had for us while dealing with the systemic barriers that sought to undermine you. I mean, even Umar brought up the prison industrial complex in the 1970s. That's not a fabrication, that's real. So you had to navigate all of that at the same time while being socially conditioned to serve someone who's been, who's been developing a platform of misandry for years. And yet we still navigated it. We still dealt with it. So this whole question of what, you know, we, uh, us being responsible for her poor choices, is absolutely bullshit. And the second part of that, that frustrates me when I hear these kind of random statements that people make is they completely underestimate how the entitlement affected the very idea of a viable man. Look, how many of y'all grandfathers would be considered viable men by women of today's standards? Right. Remember, right. Matter of fact, here, I'll show you. Let me see. Let me pull this down for a second. Now, I ran across this on a couple of different things. I had several people send it to me. I can't say if this is accurate or not in terms of a person who actually wrote this. But I can say that I've seen it for decades. I've heard it for decades. I've had classes where I've had women in the class list their desires in men on the board, and it exceeded this. So before you come at me and tell me this isn't real, which I had people on Facebook do when I posted, let's be real. Shout out to Watch Me Do Better. Appreciate that support. Right? But these are the kinds of lists that we see. And this list is short compared to some of them that I've seen over the years. But if you can't see it, it says single mom looking for a stepdad for my kids. Qualifications. Must have six-figure salary must have a car that can fit all my kids comfortably or willing to buy an SUV or a van. I actually experienced this. I actually experienced this. I had a woman actually tell me, we, we had just met, we were just talking. She took a look at my convertible and she said, well, this is nice, but you're gonna have to trade this in for an SUV. I thought that was hilarious. But anyway, I just wanted to point that out. This shit is real. This is not, well, let's continue. Right. Single dad will not will not be qualified so she can have four kids. You can't have any right willing to marry me in less than a month. I will need to buy a thirty thousand dollar diamond ring before the wedding. I have heard higher numbers than that. Right. Must be six foot or taller. Must have four to six bedroom uh, house available for my kids. Must pay all the rent or mortgages. Must adopt all my kids must know how to cut grass, must be good looking, must have six pack, must have at least 200,000 in his bank account to guarantee my kid's future, must provide twice as much as the father of my kids pays for child support. Let me ask you a question. Is that entitlement? Actually, let me ask you a better question. How many of your grandmothers and great grandmothers rolled like that? How many of them would have even met the men that ended up producing you over time had they had standards like this? This is the shit that I saw birthed in the 1980s. It wasn't always like this. If it was always like this, that would be one thing. I saw this come up in the 80s. I remember it. I was a male in a family full of females. I heard many a war council 
And I didn't understand a lot of it, but I listened and I remembered. And so when we started to have these conversations among men, I started to understand the things that I had been hearing for years. Now, I, I, I love my mother, you know, no disrespect at all, but I remember something she told me a couple years ago. She said, when you were young, she said, I refused to date men that wouldn't start paying my bills in two weeks. Now, the only reason she shared that with me is I was telling her about dating experiences. Um, and this, you know, so this is after my wife passed, right? So I'm, I'm in my mid thirties and I'm coming into this dating realm after having been married and I'm meeting women that had demands like this. And so as I'm sharing them with her, she started to see this differently because she didn't see it as a problem when she was doing it. She saw it as a problem when women were doing it to her son. And she found it offensive. And at one point, and I didn't even say it with any intensity, it was just an off the head comment. I said, this is the same thing you used to do to men. She just got quiet. I wasn't trying to be disrespectful. It just popped in my head as she was kind of spitting out how disappointed she was in women. And she was saying, you know, I don't know what's wrong with the women of today. I said, you did this then. I remember every, every boyfriend she ever had, good men in many instances. Now, honestly, I knew them as a boy would know them. So I only know so much, but I do know what I, her perspective about them versus what I saw, two different things. But nonetheless, it wasn't until I became an adult and started to hear this from women that I started to notice. And this is the same thing Tupac noticed. This is the same thing Tupac noticed. If you haven't been watching these, please do. Go check out the interviews with Billy Garland, right? Billy Garland, Tupac's father. And he's starting, it's interesting. He's telling these stories as this uh, Dear Mama documentary is out from uh, Alan Hughes, you know, covering the relationship between Tupac and his mother. Well, ancillary to this, he's doing interviews where he's talking about the ways Afini kicked him out of the family while at the same time telling stories about the way Tupac would describe Afini and the, and the, and the rest of the family, you know, treating him sometimes in ways that were, he considered diabolical, right? He would tell his father these stories. So it's an interesting dynamic when we see women pushing men out the family and then acting like they haven't, throwing rocks and hiding their hands, and men are supposed to be responsible. We are in a different era. Black men refuse to sit back and be quiet and accept unnecessary critique, accept misandry, accept these types of vile statements about us. No, we're in a very different position where black men refuse to accept it. And this is the thing, this is a new dynamic in the black community. It's a new dynamic that women don't understand and some scores of men who are still conditioned under this gynocentric, you know, kind of framework to hear men push back and say, I'm not doing it anymore and be willing to go through the messy process of figuring out what direction men want to go through, go to. Now, see, what I'm interested in is black men defining what they want to do on a collective level. This is a process. It's going to start messy and it's going to be messy because you have black men that are breaking from a conditioning process that is several generations old. And it's not a conditioning process that by and large women are gonna help with because it serves them. Now I'm not gonna get into the non-walt stuff. There's of course there are individuals that break from that, but for the most part, this type of conditioning as a whole has been useful and advantageous to scores of women. And it's left men and boys in many instances out in the cold. 
So as black men figure out what they want to do next, I support black men being willing to do so, even if it starts out messily. To me, it's a process and I want to see where it goes and add my two cents as I can to see it continue. But at the end of the day, black men have to be able to have the space to do that because we never have. We've been maligned in our own community and it's been in many ways government sanctioned and acceptable for us to be maligned. And it's become a damn near religious belief in certain aspects of the black community. And yet people still want black men to play the same silent role they've been socially expected to play for generations. Bullshit. And so this is what ultimately this session with Umar represents. It represents a changing of the guard. It represents black men being willing to publicly challenge the social expectations that have been placed upon them for generations. Notice the brothers in the daily wrap-up crew, they're not scholars. They're not, you know, they're not activists. They're not authors to my knowledge, right? These are regular brothers. But they had the wherewithal, as we'll see in a moment, to challenge this, not because they of any disrespect toward Umar. They had him on the show. They got nothing but respect for him. They challenged him because there's a changing of position that black men have. And you don't got to be a passport bro to have it. There are so many different philosophies about what to do. Some are still nationalists. Some have, have absconded and completely just decided to have no input in society, right? MGTOW or IBMOR, you know, you got brothers that are taking all kinds of responses to this, but at the end of the day, they're responding. And this is what Umar was not prepared for. So what he does is he starts to overtalk them. And he knows because they don't really have the same type of training that they really can't oppose him in the same kind of way. But the fact that they're still willing to do it is telling as hell because it means that black men are in a See, what you're saying, you're selecting a poor mate. And what I'm saying is they don't have much to select one. So, of course, you're going to end up with a poor mate. And no, it's not a matter of they don't have enough to select from. It's a matter of they don't have enough fantastical options to pull from. See, this is what we refuse to say publicly. This is not about whether or not black women have options. This goes, this takes me to Rebecca Lynn Pope, who I'll be covering later, right? When I cover one of her videos, right? They try to frame it as women have no options. No, it's not that you don't have any options. It's that the options you have don't fit the constructed narrative of what it is you claim you want. This fantastical idea of what standards you have to have, that's the problem, right? One of the things BGS and I did a couple of years ago is we were covering the Bureau of Labor Statistics data. And we were looking at the fact that, yes, black men still earn more. The conversation from there usually shifts to high earning women, which is a black women, which is an extremely small percentage. Right. When you start talking about black women making six figures, somehow the four or five percent of them that there are become the majority of the conversation. It's bullshit. The overwhelming majority are doing worse than black men, not because. Uh, the black but black men are being supported by the state in spite of the fact that black men aren't. But here's the issue. The women that are making average income, which is a few thousand dollars less than that, the average working black male, many of them don't want average working black male income earners. They don't want everyday brothers. They don't want the brothers they actually see. They want the brothers that don't exist. I've been telling them for years, y'all are trying to date the same three brothers in every city. I used to tell my students that up until probably the pandemic. But when we were in class having these discussions, y'all are searching for the same three brothers. 
Because if you're 18 years old sitting in a college class telling the 18 year old next to you that you won't date him unless he makes $100,000 a year, you have broken from what your previous predecessors, your great grandmothers would do. They didn't define men solely based on whether or not they made the three figures of their day. Truthfully, it wasn't any more unrealistic to do then as it is now, but now it's the going practice, the social expectation. So Umar is advocating for this type of entitled viewpoint because these are the very women that donate to his program. So if you advocate for them, they're going to advocate for you, or at least that's the hope. Let me catch up on a few of these here. I need to thank some brothers. Um, hold on. Shout out to Mogul Maze. The condition of the community can definitely change if we only have cooperation of the women, which we don't. Shout out to Delbert Harry. Appreciate that support. Shout out to Anubis. Appreciate that. Shout out to Joe Herb. Appreciate the super sticker. Don Johnson says black men are statistically the most likely to be stepdads and it's still not enough. It'll never be enough. Love who loves you, black man. Real talk. Ronin76, appreciate that support. Right? Man's World TV Group, appreciate that. Right? James Wingate, appreciate the support. Says we'll catch the replay, but supporting, appreciate it. Right? If I missed you, I do apologize. Um, Unintentional by any means. Oh, yeah, so I think we caught up. All right, so let's continue. And why is she going to end up with a poor mate? Because we as black men are not raising black boys to be the men that our women need. We are not. They out there killing themselves right now. What we doing about it? Unemployed black males. What we doing about it? Pants sagging, weed smoking. What we doing about it? Okay, so we got the typical shaming uh, tactics. Shout out to Jimmy. Appreciate the support. Right. But this overlooks something else that I've seen for generations that has gotten no fanfare. Brothers who've been coaching, who've been uh, YMCA big brothers, uh, brothers who have taken it upon themselves to help their, their sons and their son's friends, brothers who, I mean, we've, black men have found ways to be in the lives of other young boys that they didn't have to be for generations. Football, basketball coaches, teachers. I'm a teacher. I've been teaching for 25 years. And before I was teaching for 25 years, I was working in programs in Philly, in Nickerson Gardens, in, in, in Southern California. I was working in programs that had me knocking door to door to try and get young boys involved with different programs we had going on. I worked at WLCAC. Back in the late 90s, um, but even before that, in Philly, I was working for a program where young men were court ordered to be in my class to get their GED. And, 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 and this is the thing. And black professional teachers can tell you this at every level from kindergarten to graduate school. There is an expectation that you go above and beyond. And many of us do. But it may set you back in terms of competing with other faculty in, in regard to publications and giving lectures. You may not be able to do as much as others because of how much energy you expend helping the youth. You know what I'm saying? This has been going on for generations. It's a tax, as it were. And it contributes to the competition level or the, la the, the lessened competition level of black teachers, faculty, so on and so forth who still have to compete to meet a standard, but have to go above and beyond in ways that other professors don't have to, other teachers don't have to. 
see, when I see my, the majority of my black students now, even when I'm teaching online, the majority of them don't have laptops. They don't even have desktops. They're participating in Zoom classes on their phones, and many of them are doing so at work. I'm watching kids stack shelves at Walmart and try to participate in conversations over the phone. See, this is the reality. And that's, that, you know, that's a state school in California. This is the reality. And so I have to figure out how to go above and beyond. Over the years, it's been a constant that I will pull somebody aside and talk to them, most particularly my black males. That's not a service other teachers provide, but those are the kinds of things that black folk have been doing, and in particular, black men, and to no fanfare, to no acknowledgement. Black men, especially when they're brought in to teach in K through 12, and I've said this before, and I've done it, I've experienced it, and I've talked to many brothers that have, they are brought in even by black women administrators and given the role of enforcer. What they will often do is put you in a classroom and they'll take the most challenging kids in every group, mostly black males, throw them in a room with you. And the more physically imposing you are, the more they'll do it. And the thing is, once you break through and find a connection and begin to do things, what many of black male have reported to me in those situations, when you ask for the resources or even the means to construct something a little differently that would better suit the students, you get pushback, administrative pushback. Because really what they want you to do is shut up, stay in the corner, keep them kids quiet, even if they don't graduate, and that's it. But really what, what that translates to is make sure that those kids are not a threat to anybody else, particularly the black women involved, black women and girls. They'll put you in a corner and tell you to shut up and leave it that way. And if you get tired of it, and you will get tired of it because you see that there are ways to help that you're not being allowed to. And if you try to do it anyway, you find yourself being disciplined, so to speak. You have a lot of brothers that get burned out and check out. And even then still find ways to come back and help. So when Umar is talking about here, what we're doing about it, he's not being genuine. There are scores of black men in particular and black women around the country that have sought to help black boys and men beyond the expectations and limitations of their position. And he's being disingenuous because it serves black women's frustrations about black men to do so. But he's not being realistic. There are far too many brothers that have found ways to help that are off the books, that are non-traditional. And do those men get credit for that? Here's the thing, most of those men aren't even looking for credit, but for you to not allow for their very existence is a disrespect. And I can tell you as a young man who only saw his father once a year, I had scores of unofficial stepfathers, uncles, mentors. Many of them were coaches. Hell, my mother's boyfriend, sometimes who wouldn't be around for a couple of years, became mentor father figures. My stepfather here in Fresno passed away a few months ago. He and my mother broke up with, what, 1989? I've been in touch with that man since 1989. And he's still giving me advice on life. Or at least up until his passing. Shout out to James Everett Sr. A good damn man. He didn't have to do it. He had children of his own. He and my mother never officially even married. He was just her boyfriend for a couple years. And he still made it a point to stay in contact with me. He didn't have to do that. So I'm simply saying this position that Umar's taking is disingenuous. 
because there have been brothers that have stepped up and been willing to play these roles, and there still are. They're still all over the place. They just don't get any fanfare, and they don't seek it. They don't ask for it, and they don't hold a grudge when they don't get it. But I'll be damned if you're going to sit here and pretend like they don't fucking exist just to make a point to defer to others that you want to get support and donations from and erase these brothers' existence. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for them. Look, the last thing I'll tell you before I start this video. When I was an undergrad, I got relatively good grades, but I was just floating along. I didn't really have a path. I really didn't. I got to my third year of college and there was a new brother that came to the campus. He was the new chair of the newly designated Africana Studies program. None of us knew what Africana meant. We were familiar with Black Studies. We didn't know what Africana was. He was also the president of the National Council for Black Studies at the time, but we didn't know what that was either. He and his wife moved back to LA because I guess he was he had lived there long ago and he took over the program. And that man in the course of, I'd say a year and a half changed the course of my life. He basically snatched me by the scruff of my neck and said, boy, what are you doing? And when it came to the point where I was about to graduate, shout out to Terrell, Stacker Starve, Labert, uh, Expansion Wiring, Eric and Brian for the cash apps, much appreciated. When it came to me graduating, I didn't have a damn plan. To be completely honest with you, when I was a senior in college, so few people had talked to me about what to do. I didn't officially know what a master's degree was, really didn't. I went to college because in my family, it was a requirement that you at least get your bachelor's degree. And then from there, you can do what you wanted. So for me, college was kind of like high school. It was just something I was expected to do. It didn't become anything of meaning to me until I met Dr. William Little. Now he was very strategic and it wasn't for nothing. It wasn't completely altruistic. I was a campus leader. I founded the Pan-African Union on the campus. I was active, but it was still high school to me. He saw me, he saw me and he said, you know what? We can do something for each other. But even in terms of that arrangement, he still went above and beyond and sat with me for hours and gave me direction on things that he didn't need to on every subject imaginable and would seek me out to do it sometimes where there was clearly nothing for him to gain. He would look for me just to sit down and talk to. And I can't tell you what that did to my life. And then by the time I got to my senior year, he said, boy, what you planning to do? I, said, I don't know. I had a girl that I was, you know, hitting every now and again. She was going, you know, kind of help me get into the UPS where she was. That was the plan. He looked at me and he said, no. He says, you have too much to do. You have too much to contribute. I don't think you should go that way. He made a few phone calls and the next thing I knew, I was standing in Philadelphia with two suitcases starting the master's program. If you asked me six months prior to that, what exactly a master's degree was, I mean, I could tell you the general, it's a degree after you get your bachelor's, that'd be about it. I knew nothing about it beyond that. Next thing I know, I'm walking around Philadelphia in the middle of the goddamn winter in snow, which I'd never seen before, doing a bachelor, uh, doing a master's degree, which I finished in a year because of him. And then when I finished that degree, he's the first one that gave me a job. I came back to LA and I was teaching at Cal State Dominguez Hills with the master's degree that I had gotten in a year, which meant that my boys were still students at the university taking my classes. 
He made me a professor. 21 years old. You think anybody else was willing to do that? Anybody else was willing to take the time to sit down with me? Tell me what I was talented at and how I could contribute. Ask me what I wanted to do and suffer through a million questions from a young kid that didn't know shit. And he wasn't the only one. I've had an endless stream of mentors and supporters over the years. And the thing about it is many of us have. And this is what Dr. Umar is disrespecting at this moment when he makes these glib statements about the condition of the community and what black men are failing to do. No. Black men have been working against this without institutional support. And they continue to, to no fanfare. They do not deserve to be shitted on because you're trying to raise funds. It's disrespectful. And you should know better because I suspect you've benefited from some of these very men. And I suspect you may have been one on one level or another at some point. So I can't, I can't, I can't support that. There's too many brothers that have put it on the wood. Shout out to Green Gorilla. I see you, man. Y'all didn't check out the uh, conversation Green Gorilla had with Dennis Sperling a little earlier today. You're missing out. So make sure you check that. Try to support the Green Gorilla channel. If you haven't subscribed, make sure you do so. Same with Dr. Thunder. Same with Growth Talk with, Co uh, with Kofa. Same with Mr. Z. Support Mr. Z. So let's continue. Black men are not raising black boys to be the men our community needs. That is 100% our fault. What I'm saying is she got a right to be angry with us. Agreed. She got a right to be angry with us. I understand we have that. not been on our job as black men. Uh, bullshit. Absolute bullshit. It's not a matter of whether or not we're on our job. It's a matter of whether we've met her uh, unsubstantiated fictional needs. To that end, nobody could. Because here's the thing, and I told you guys this a couple years ago. What I experienced firsthand is that I always thought that until you met these fantastical standards, you wouldn't get respect. And even when you met them, I found out the hard way you don't get respect. And I had a conversation with Judge Joe Brown. I said, man, you know, since the 80s, we were told if you made six figures and you were over six feet tall and you owned your own house and your own car and this, this and that, you'd be respected. He said, son... You don't get respected at eight figures. I said, God damn. This is the reality that black men are responding to. They're finding out that they've been fed a false contract. And even if you meet the letter of that contract, you still don't get the basic level of respect that you find that other groups are able to produce for themselves very readily. Right? So supporting this narrative, I, it's, it's the bullshit. Here we go. If the men are the providers, what have we been providing for our community? I'm not speaking you individually. Yes, yes. Because you yes, may yes, be a damn good father. You may yes. be a damn good father. You may be a damn good father. But guess what? What are we doing for the community? What are we doing for the children who don't have a father? Well, let's deal with that then. Right? One of the things we talk about in this area of, the, of, of YouTube is what percentage of black men actually produce children. It's a relatively small percentage that do. And we've talked about this for years. Most black men do not, not arbitrarily. What we found, and I've been arguing this for a while as well, is that women have found, um, what would you call it? A cheat code. They found a cheat code. And the cheat code is that they often want families, 
they don't want to have to deal with men excuse me who have demands they don't want to have to deal with men who have demands men who expect reciprocity in some way shape or form so what they do is they find men that are easily controlled this is one of the things i've noticed and i and, and again you know you've been a long time listener some of these stories you've heard before i apologize but i think they're important and a couple of years ago, I had a neighbor of mine who went through a really bad divorce, you know, at a certain point and ended up being pushed out of his family house. But prior to that, just before it happened, he pulled me aside late one night. I drove into my, my driveway about 10 p.m. and he walked up out of nowhere, which is really not a good tactic. He almost got shot in the face. But anyway, that aside, he pulled me out and he said, Doc, and I was like, what the fuck? You know, so we had a conversation and he said, look, man. He said, I'm only asking you this because I, I just don't know who to ask. He said, I've noticed my wife is a is a six, she's a newly six-figure earner. She's an administrator. And her and her girlfriends are all white collar. They're all doing fairly well. She said, most of them married ex-cons who were either sleeping on their parents' couch or they were couch surfing. Most of them are in and out unemployed. She said they actually married those men and they knew what those men's conditions were before they married. And now they come over to our house regularly to drink wine and complain about how trifling their husbands are. And they complain about how they have to give those men an allowance. But here's the thing. He said, one, I don't understand why they keep doing this because each one of them dated men at their level at some point in time and they chose men that they knew they could control he said they would start they would brag to each other about starting arguments knowing full well he couldn't do anything if he left there he had nowhere to go so he was talking about white collar middle class black women who actually sought out men that they can control and they would have two and three kids they would get married but had no respect for these men from day one. Now, sometimes with some of them, they talked about how much they enjoyed the sex, but that wasn't even one of the focal points of the discussion. It was incidental. The focal point for him and, and my response to him was control. See, she could produce a family on her terms. She could make decisions about households and purchasing houses and selling houses and taking this job versus that one with no significant pushback, because at the end of the day, if he pushed back too hard, he'd have to go. And he'd have to pay child support. That was the interesting thing. Even though she would make more, these cats would get divorced and end up still paying child support on kids that they no longer could see. But nobody wants to talk about how much control these women sought to have with men that they knew they could, you know, they could run circles around. It wasn't a matter of this is all that was available because those women had actually dated men at their level. They couldn't control men at their level or beyond for that matter. But like I said, even the average working woman won't always want to even deal with the man that's just average working and, and right next to her at the, I don't know, the Amazon factory where you work, right? Technically, according to the statistics, he makes a few thousand more, but he's still not good enough. I remember even over a decade ago, I had a girlfriend. I made more than 10 grand more than her in a year. She told me I didn't make enough for her. 
She was unemployed part of the year, every year, but I didn't make enough for her, right? This is what I'm talking about. This is what Umar is glossing over. He's not talking about the specifics of what it is that are, that what's going on. And he's not being honest about it. He's using uh, talking points that are very consistent and easy to use that most black women are going to applaud. And most dudes that have been, you know, socialized to, you know, serve them. But anyway. You don't think the black woman got a right to be angry when she's been raising two thirds of the kids by herself for 50 years? And the minute she raised her voice, we say she's not humble enough. She had to become masculine to survive the rape, the molestation, the domestic abuse. Are you bullshit? Bullshit. The domestic abuse is bidirectional. It's not equal. And again, men have not been socialized for decades to report it. So if it's bidirectional and men haven't been socialized and what I mean by socialized is I remember the era of these films coming on in the 1970s and onward that highlighted and defined for the public what a woman being abused looked like. You know, the first film I saw where a man was abused, Antoine Fisher. And he wasn't a man at that point, he was a boy. The only conversation around male abuse of adult males was in prison. And that's not technically what we would call abuse, but that was the closest thing to it. There is no, you know, public image of men being abused in any significant way that we've learned to take seriously. Johnny Depp might have been one of the first men we encountered that was justifiably abused in a way that could not be laughed off or dismissed because he recorded it. He had conversations illustrating how much she was willing to lie because it was so much of a thing that nobody believed could happen to grown men. He wouldn't have had a case if he didn't have her lying about it and laughing in his face. That might have been one of the first public settings where male abuse of an adult male had to be addressed and taken somewhat seriously. Because at the very least, it highlighted women's willingness to abuse the public social expectation of how abuse works to her benefit. And this is what we saw with Jonathan Majors as well, right? Undeniable proof that she was willing on one level or another, to fabricate a lie simply because most people would believe her. How many people actually believe Jonathan Majors was innocent? Right? Most people took it as at face value that he must be guilty. Because the abuse of men is not realistic in the imagination of most people. Unlike the way the abuse of women has been framed. Again, I watched for decades as media played a role and showing us what that abuse looks like. So in terms of what Umar is talking here, that's not true. The abuse is, is, is bi-directional. And when it comes to intimate partner uh, uh, violation or grape, I've said this for years, statistically it is far more likely that black men are the demographic that suffer from it most because America imprisons more of its population than any other group and statistically incarcerates black males more than any other group. And even when you talk about juvenile black males, the reports on juvenile black males and sexual harassment, sexual assault from guards and even administrators will blow your mind. But see, he's not bringing those things up because they're not convenient to the narrative. He's going with the narrative that people readily accept that women stood there as innocent snowflakes. They got abused and men were, you know, men were monsters and had to be held back. And this is why she had to be masculine. 
even though Green Gorilla did it on his show the other day. He showed you directly from Tommy Curry, the data, where there were whole periods of time from the 70s through the 90s where black men were the most abused demographic. There are reports that, that multi, matter of fact, meta reports that have shown the same data. I've shown them on my channel as well, but they're not part of the public narrative. So when Umar is making these statements, he's not catering to what's actually being produced in the data. He's catering to what people want to hear because it pays. Telling me you can't see how I, we created that? I understand that, but she needs if to be more If we was loving selective. our women and, and taking care of our women, do you think she would be like that? That if, personality if has if a history. If she's picking Pookie and Ray Ray instead of... You're making her a scapegoat. No, she's the, picking a scapegoat. No, 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 no. There's, there's good Can quality men that they ignore. Why she even got it? Why, why, why is there even a Pookie in the selection? You got to ask her that. No, no, no. Please stop with this bullshit. First of all, this Pookie and Ray Ray language is so superficial and it really dehumanizes you know scores of black men on a lot of different levels but at the end of the day how do you actually just point that view in one direction as if black men we don't have selection issues we don't if you as a black man decide that you are not going to accept misandry in your relationships there is no designated statistic on how few become available to you but black men in these comments, for example, and those who watch the show can tell you from personal experience how many women that takes off of your list. Because here's the thing. The misandry toward black men is so publicly acceptable, even in the black community, it's damn near become just a part of the culture. Just is what it is. So if you decide you don't want to tolerate it, every relationship you get in for the most part ends up becoming a battle. And when certain men reach a certain point in their lives when they're tired of having that battle, then all of a sudden they, they're being called all kinds of names because they're willing to travel and go elsewhere. But the reality is many men are tired of that very thing because you would think just being asked to be paid a basic level of respect that human beings offer each other should be, should be a pretty easy request. No. The misandry directed toward black men, that low boiling contempt, can come in, the, in all kinds of forms, from family members you grew up loving, the girlfriends and wives that you know you swore everything was cool with until you actually started to understand what misandry actually was. And when you start to push back against it, then you start to find out just how you're perceived. And again, that too is part of the black masculine's turn. Let's continue. Oh, I'm going to tell you why there's a poop okay. in this election. Whoa. Because black men have abandoned black boys and have allowed social media, white media, athletes, and rappers to raise them. That's why she with Pookie. If we never allow Pookie to develop, she would not have a Pookie. If we're going to be men, the mm -hmm. first thing we got to do is take responsibility for why our women feel the way they feel. I can, I can hear the way they feel has been mass manufactured by policy for decades. It wasn't something they woke up with and just decided, and it wasn't the failure of black men that produced it. This is the disingenuous argument that I'm talking about here. This was been manufactured. The breakdown of the black family does not happen in slavery. It doesn't. It happens in the 1960s and 70s. That's when it starts. And I do believe there's a percentage of men that purposely withdrew from marriage in response to family court policy kind of silent strike, but even that didn't keep them out of the lives of their children. And truth be told, from the 60s onward, men have only gotten more participatory in families, despite marriage. 
But that's not the narrative he wants to paint. So he goes with it's Jermaine's fault. That. I'm not, not saying that. Yeah. that they're right to disrespect because even if a woman disrespects me, right? Mm. That still don't give me a right to disrespect her because she's still the queen of the community. Even if she's not acting like it. Follow New York oh. and murder. Damn it, I hit the wrong button. Anyway, uh, let me get back there. Let me see if I can find it. See, what you're saying, you're selecting a poor mate. And what I'm saying is they don't have much to select one. If a woman disrespects me, there we go. right? That still don't give me a right to disrespect her. See, and this is part of what we've been trained with as well. This is part of why there's a gynocracy. It is expected that part of your defined manhood as a black man is to take disrespect. And how well you take it, how stoic you can be, how deferential you can be, how willing to forgive and forget her you can be, all of that defines your manhood. If you don't accept it, there's something wrong with you. But the problem is that narrative is starting to break down because more and more men are deciding that it's not worth it. And that if you want to continue, if you want black men to continue to participate in the community, you have to offer them something more than this silent, sacrificial fall on your sword and be chivalrous bullshit. Black men haven't really asked for a lot. You don't see lists of black men demanding women that make six figures and and have a size double D breast and they got to have a, a house that they own that they're willing to sign over to the first man they marry and, and that their bank accounts need to be handed over to whoever their boyfriend is. Black men aren't making lists like this. Matter of fact, after 15 years, no, I'd say about, eh, I'd say about 12. After about the last 12 years of talking to students, I would ask unofficially, just in the class, how many of you are either a woman that has a list of demands from the men you date or you're a man who's had a woman with the list. I've always had all hands go in the air. And when I ask how many of you men have a list of demands of, you know, in regard to a woman, what you expect from a woman you're going to date. Not one man in 12 years has raised his hand to say he had a list. And not one woman raised her hand to say she met a man that had a list, let alone a list she didn't qualify for. Young men are not socialized to have demands, to have expectations, to have boundaries. We're not socialized to do it. We're socialized to try and adapt to these fantastical uh, standards that women have. And we try to learn how to seduce them around those things or whatever. But we don't learn how to have standards of our own. And when men started to actually talk to each other about having standards of their own, that's when all hell broke loose. And that's when they started using language like a gender war. When the gender war, when women put these, imposed these unrealistic standards on men in the first place, only really became one when men started to push back on it and said, that's unrealistic. And I'm not going to kill myself to do it. Look, if I want to be, uh, if I want a six pack and, and I want a six figure in a house, a two story house with an expensive $80,000 plus car, if I want those things, I'm going to get those things because I want them. But I'm no longer going to get those things to meet some imaginary list of requirements while you don't got to do a goddamn thing but exist. Because that's, that's actually what girls are taught. Girls are taught, or young women, that men will want the same things that women claim they want from men. So if they, you know, if they provide those things, that men will seek them out. Men don't give a damn about those things often. Your income, your degrees, irrelevant. I got a doctorate. I've had more fun with women that had a high school diploma in some instances, and I wouldn't have a problem being on one if, that's what it, if, if, that, if, if it was a, an, an engagement that was um, cool, good conversation, having fun. It's not a requirement that a woman I find has to have a doctorate. Never been. 
Never been. If it's if it works, cool. But I'm not looking for a woman with a doctorate just because I have one. But that's the way black women function. And so they're taught even from a young age that men will want and have the same values that you as women have, which isn't true. The other thing they're taught is that their their vaginas are invaluable. And that that is the trump card. And that is the way you can attract a husband and keep a boyfriend. That's how you get him to seduce you, to propose to you. And even into his 70s and 80s, that's how you get him to do odd chores around the house. Y'all don't have any idea how many women I've had around me laughing about how they can still try to get their men to do things if they if they either offer him sex or withdraw it because he's not being a good boy. This bullshit is falling apart. And more and more men are refusing to participate in it. And it's starting to scare the hell out of a lot of people. And Umar speaks to that population that are afraid of what can happen when black men make choices without the supervision of their caretakers. Because she's still the queen of the community. Even if she not acting like it, I'm going to give her that respect. But when I hear brothers talk like this discourse we have now, yeah, yeah. we act like we don't understand no, I do, I reasons do, for that shit. I do understand. I, I, women are so valuable. You get what I'm saying? Like, I think women ground men and help them, you know, propel to the to the next level. I, I think men go, get further in life with a woman, mm -hmm. right? But when I, if I'm a hardworking man, but I'm only looking... I've been married. I was married for almost a decade. I was the sole provider and protector. Right? My wife did not have to work. She wanted to work. But she lost jobs a lot because she was ill with sickle cell. And she never wondered if bills were paid. Never doubted it. Even when I did. Shit, I was a grad student for a good portion of that. And that shit was hard. But I didn't let her know. Whatever I struggled with, whatever I grappled with, even times where I was barely holding on financially, I didn't let her endure that stress. I found ways to make it work, even when there wasn't a way. So I know what this reality is he's talking about. And contrary to popular opinion, there are plenty of black men that do it. But at the same time, even my wife was not trained to reciprocate that. Not at all. It was still an expectation that I contribute to the household chores to the same degree she did and all those kind of things. It wasn't reciprocity. I had to be an equal partner in the house, but I still had to be the provider and breadwinner. But I couldn't say anything about it because that would make her upset. I mean, these are all and this is not something that was just between her and I. This was something that both of our families expected as well. Right. So this whole idea of providing and protecting and all of that. There are plenty of black men to do it, but even for those black men who are doing it, more and more are starting to push back on the social expectations of playing that role with no reciprocity. Because it, it, here's the thing, in the old days, when you talked about this conservative dynamic of him protecting and providing and her handling the domestic space, that was an exchange of resources and roles, complementary. But the moment women wanted to change the dynamic in the late 60s and onward and redefine as per white women's leading kind of, of of this issue, the moment they wanted to redefine sex roles, they wanted to keep men's sex roles static. While they enjoyed transformation, right, they enjoyed being able to frame whatever they wanted to frame. And when black men didn't want to participate in that. Black men were considered trifling and unwilling to participate and incapable of it. A lot of times people don't want to look at the fact that when you're talking about the changing of social expectations and roles, 
it's not just the group that wants to change those roles that's important. It's also the group responding. And black men just didn't have a public stage to articulate their response, but they did respond by pulling back. And that pulling back has been framed as deadbeat, trifling, whatever. And it's a convenient excuse to use. Because again, black men didn't really have a stage to respond anyway. So you can call them whatever they wanted and they had to take it. We had to watch a thousand movies where these brothers out here were tre being treated like shit and framed as monsters with no opportunity to actually voice our concerns. Even now, with the plethora of brothers who are responding in all kinds of ways and at, all, at every level to many of these issues, when you see critiques and pushback against what we're talking about, they look for the lowest common denominator. If I'm one guy on YouTube that hates women or and he's, you know talks about women should die. I mean, I remember a couple months ago, an ex of mine called me and she said, you're one of those YouTube guys now. There was a guy I heard on a panel that said that black women should die. I said, really, what was his name? Well, I, I don't know. Okay. Well, what, what show was it on? Well, well, I don't know. Okay. How many people were on the panel? About 10. How long did he speak for? Was he the host? No, he only spoke for a couple minutes. So I was like, okay. So you're willing to tell me that you caught a random stream on YouTube where one guy on, out of 10 on a panel said something egregious about black women. And somehow that becomes the face of an entire movement of men where you have the greatest cross-section of black men I've ever seen in my fucking life. You, if you look at social media now, I'm seeing black men, and I've said this before, I'm seeing black men that don't have a pot to piss in, all the way to CEOs and university uh, presidents. And trust me when I tell you, I've had university presidents reach out to me. Bank, uh, brothers who are running banks, brothers who are running multi-million dollar businesses, all the way down to the brother who's a school teacher, you know? The brother who, who works at you know the local liquor store it's the it's across occupation across class across color light to dark skin height across height and even across sexuality there's some gay brothers y'all be surprised that support more of this than you think there's the presentation of the lgbt community and what's considered acceptable from them but then you got some gay brothers that are in this space right now there's a brother whose book you know, he asked me to publish a piece in his book that came out earlier this year. Gay brother supports the manosphere. You'd be surprised. It's not all as cut and dry as these people want to present it. But despite all of the brothers in this space and all the different levels and manners by which they respond to these issues, these people will go find the lowest common denominator. Or I'll give you another example. When Dr. Ronald Neal was on uh, Diddy's TV show, Revolt, I think it was, and they had a show a few months ago about Kevin Samuels. I think he was debating Ace Metaphor, if, if that's his name, I don't know. I, I think I confused him with the guy, the other Ace that makes cartoons on YouTube. So forgive me if I got him mixed up. But anyway, when they were talking about Kevin, first of all, Ronald told me, right, they cut out so much of his dialogue that you, you he barely got to speak, except in small portions. And the chosen clips they took from Kevin were so manicured to look a certain way, that it was clear there was an agenda. But here's the problem with that. You actually had millions of people who've been touched by Kevin. Some like loved it, some didn't, some agreed with portions of it. I don't, I, there's nobody or nothing I've ever agreed 100% with. So this whole argument about, well, I didn't agree with everything he said is bullshit to me, but you had enough people that were touched by Kevin and were, and were moved by something he said, that to frame Kevin in one way 
with a few different clips is so disingenuous because you haven't even explained why you had so many men and women who got something from what he said or who've gotten something from what a lot of brothers in this space have said. See, this is why the mainstream has to present us in one way as monsters. And this is what Umar is contributing to. Because if you actually pay attention to grown men who are fucking human beings that have something to say and can back it with data, can back it with history, and can back it with lived experiences from a large swath of black men who don't get uh, assessed when it comes to any kind of major statistical study, you might actually have to learn something from those brothers. So my point, though, is that this demographic in this space is so diverse I've never seen this many black men from so many diverse backgrounds together. ADOS, non-ADOS, continental African, you name it. I got brothers reaching out to me from fucking Australia, South Africa, China, Britain, Ireland. What? Brothers reaching out, and I got a small channel. I ain't even broke 40,000 subscribers. And I got brothers reaching out to me from all over the continent all over the world because they're responding to things that they're getting value from. But the mainstream mainstream portrayal of brothers in this space who are pushing back, and in this video clip, those brothers are represented by the Daily Wrap-Up crew, they can't be given the respect of being heard. That would cause too many problems. That's as resources. Okay. And then she's ready to jump on Tom, Dick, and Harry because he has, he's, he got flash. He's uh, shining a little bit more. His access to money is quicker than mine. It's, it's kind of hard to have that, that. Well, no, one, I agree with you, but that's not all sisters. No, it's not. It's and not. if you're constantly running into that. Hold on. I got to say this bullshit. This no Walt thing, not all black women, not all women are like that. I hate that I even make that qualification sometimes because it's stupid to me. First of all, there's never going to be a conversation that generalizes on any aspect of the public that isn't generalizing. It should be a given. There's, I mean, what? You should never have to say not all whatever are like that. There's always going to be variances. There are always going to be qualifications that need to be made. It's a given as far as I'm concerned. Shout out to Kimmit, the Cash App, Ramon, Levi. Terrell, appreciate that. But yeah, so this whole qualification that not all women are like that, not all men are like that. Nobody's all like that. So the fuck what? Get beyond that and get to the point. What are we seeing in the majority? What's what's happening that people are not allowed to talk about in the mainstream? What are people experiencing, especially brothers who have not been given the stage? Black men took the stage and they built their own. They built their own. That's what I really should say. They didn't take their stage. They built their own damn stage. Granted, we did it on platforms we don't own. But the reality of it is when you come out of a community with no inherited wealth, it is what it is. You take what's available to you and you build so the next generation can have less stress building and continuing on with that. The Black men are actually building with what, with what they have. And they've taken, they built their own stage and they're articulating themselves because ain't nobody else waiting around to allow them to speak. So they, they, they're not waiting. They're building their own. Type of woman? Yeah. Then the problem is you because you're attracting a certain low vibrational energy. Why yeah, why, is why that? Why not that same energy for, the, for women? You just, you just, again, you have because the man Because we have a conversation as men. Yeah. I got, I got plenty of interviews 
with all women where I check them too. Right. But as a man, you should not be concerned about what I say to them. Mm. No. As men, we should be concerned of what we're going to do. We can walk and chew gum at the same time. Stop this bullshit. Part of the reason that brothers are having this conversation is that in, at these days, if you come in this space where you you only have one analysis and that's to critique the men, they're going to look at you sideways because that's been the going talk for 50 years. It's not new. It's always funny to me. I, I see these feminists that come up in these spaces and they want to tell us that black men are being unbalanced because they're only critiquing women. And they don't critique men. What you misunderstand is black men are well aware that we've been the sole critique of the black community for the last 40 to 50 years. What you're seeing is a counterbalance that's taking place where all of the subjects and nuances that have been avoided and, and, and ignored for generations are being brought to bear. I have men in their 70s that reach out to me to give me bits of information from things that they observed when they were younger, but they didn't quite know what to do with it. Just to make sure that we can make sure there's no chink in the armor of the arguments that we're putting on the table. Older black men, married black men, black men who are great grandfathers, and of course, at every other level beneath that. Communicating and responding, because at the end of the day, no one else has given us that opportunity. So this whole argument that he's coming with. To produce a better generation of black males for tomorrow. That's the only, that, women, that is where we should be focused. Women on. bring the and we can focus on that, but that doesn't mean that you absolve black women of any kind of responsibility, especially. And here's the thing. It's not about black women just for the sake of attacking black women. The issue is you're talking about state sponsored behavior. And it's not just state sponsored, right? Privately funded. I've done plenty of videos on the various types of funding that women have gotten over the last few decades that have shaped the, the course of the black community. I mean, in effect, what we're witnessing in the black community is the colonizing of it. And we have been seeing this for the longest, but the colonizing of it by making one gender gatekeepers. They're the buffer class. They've been able to invest in the idea of America because on some level, America's real for them. Get a scholarship to go to college, you can do that, right? Get funding to, to, to be a stay-at-home mother, you can get that from the city, from the state, you can get that. They're, these are the kinds of things that make the idea real. But for the average everyday brother, ain't nobody putting a hand out to help you and we know it. And because we know it, we don't have the same investment in the idea. And this is splitting. This is another factor that's splitting the black community as well. There are no guarantees for us. And the guarantees that they're being familiarized with has them looking at us like there's something wrong with us. But what a lot of sisters don't understand is that too was a tactic. And so when those benefits and resources start to be withdrawn, all hell breaks loose. And we're witnessing that now in a decaying economy as things are crumbling all around us. You're starting to see women that are starting to understand that the things that they always thought were just a given because they're magical were actually policy-based and are slowly being withdrawn from the conversation most evicted demographic in the country, right? These are the kinds of things that cause that. Choice of life, right? We understand that, right? I can't have a, a, a child unless a woman agrees. And she can't carry woman, one if you or, didn't put it in her. It, I agree with that 100% too, right? But whether or not, if you want that child or not, she can still make that decision. 
It's only if you up to don't her. put a seed in her, nothing else happens. And this is such a simplistic, reduced argument. And I've been hearing it since the advent of the pill, right? But the thing is, one of the things I've talked about, and I'm talked, and I've talked about it in my upcoming book as well, is when you deal with reproductive technology, when you deal with, um, you know, uh, pharmaceutical reproductive technology, there was a period where all of those decisions, and this is what the brothers in the Daily Wrap Crew, uh, Wrap Up Crew, are trying to say: the resources for controlling that fall in the hands of women. So what we do to blame men is we say, well, you shouldn't have had sex with her which is ironically what young women used to hear prior to the advent of the pill. Like you shouldn't have opened your legs, but now that they've gotten the means, right? Over five different types of birth control and 35 different forms that don't even include abortion, right? Now that they have sole control, it's a different dynamic. So that means the 15 year old boy that has sex for the first time, if he gets her pregnant, it's up to her as to whether or not his entire life has changed. He has no say in it. He doesn't get to have a say and whether or not that's something he wants to continue to do, right? These kind of conversations aren't limited to that, but that's just one example of what can happen in that dynamic. Or I'll, I'll tell you another story. There's a female I used to date back in undergrad. Didn't work out, but every now and again, we would talk to each other. She moved out of state, went to get her law degree, and she met a guy in the laundromat, I believe, and, um, Basically, what came out of that meeting was they both needed friends with benefits. No commitments, nothing beyond that. He agreed to it, and he told her from the front, from the jump, I don't want kids. I don't want to get married. I'm here doing my work. And she's like, look, I'm going to law school. I just need somebody to come hit it every now and again. They had an arrangement. First couple of years that worked out. They were good. They discussed birth control. She was on the pill. Everything was straight. Then she changed her mind. Now, see, this is an interesting thing. And in, in having this conversation with her, one, I let her talk, which, to be honest with you, I've started to do far less because I realized later that that's, that's a service many women enjoy. BGS calls it uh, downloading. But in this instance, I let her talk. And I only asked brief questions to let her expand. And I just listened. And she told on herself. Basically, what happened was she started to like him. And she started to notice that she couldn't find uh, according to her, dating options at her level. Although she had dated a couple dudes that were beyond her level and they just weren't interested in getting married. So the way she framed that was she couldn't find men on her level. See, that way she doesn't have to down, she doesn't have to down talk herself or reveal embarrassing things about her history, meaning she couldn't get with the men she wanted. So ergo, they didn't exist. And this guy that she'd been seeing, nice guy, bills paid, sweet, kind to her, Occasionally, they'd get together. He'd cook her a meal. They'd watch a movie. And eventually, she said, well, why don't I get with him? So she asked him again. He said, I don't want a relationship beyond what, what we have here. I don't, I, don't, I don't want to get married. I don't want kids. This is cool. I got other things I'm working on. So the first time she told me the story, she just said she got pregnant. I said, well, I'm curious about something. I said, didn't you say you were on the pill? She got quiet. And then she kind of giggled. She said, well, okay. I stopped taking it, but I didn't tell her. Okay. So she got pregnant. She got pregnant. Listen to the language we even use. She got pregnant. No, she chose it. She wanted it. She was waiting for it. And you know what she was ultimately trying to do? She was hoping that the baby would change his mind. And it didn't. So 
the beginning of the story, when she first told me about this, she said her baby daddy was a horrible father. By the time we get an hour and a half down the road later, what I'm realizing is this man is not a horrible father. This is a man who never wanted to be a father. And he's being a father because you forced him into it. You forced his own values against him in the sense that he never wanted to be a father, but he always believed if he had a child, he would want to be a good one for the child's sake. She used that. She weaponized that against him and then still called him a horrible father, not because he was horrible to her daughter, but because he wouldn't marry her. See what I'm saying? So when Umar gives this kind of glib, if you don't put the seed in her, that that's basic. It, it's And it's it, it doesn't address the nuance of what black men actually experience every day. Because I'm going to tell you, if you were a woman for three years and you're having casual sex, it, it takes a very strong-willed man to wear a condom every time. It just is what it is, especially when you, you think you, you have a meeting of the minds, you think you agree with one another. And we didn't even get into poking holes in the condoms and all that kind of stuff. We're just talking about having an understanding. But the reality is she has the power in that dynamic. That's it. And, and it doesn't even have to be that devious. You ever broke a condom before? Immediately, if she's pregnant, she has the sole deciding, you know, deciding vote as to what to do with it. This is one of the reasons. Let me just share this real quick. We'll get back to the video. I'm only going to pay 12, 12 minutes of it. But I will let it play uh, in a moment. So what we have here is a 17-point black male political agenda. Right? I will put the link to it in the chat again. Right? But in that 17-point agenda, we have family court reform. Right? And in that, we talk about a lot of different things child custody, mandatory paternity testing at birth, right, at-fault divorce standards, termination of parental obligation. Now, this was a term contributed by a hood servative. I called it a financial abortion prior to this, but I like the term, so I, I took that. Termination of parental obligation. Basically, what this means is, as we understand the law, it is a woman's right to choose whether or not she will carry a baby to term, put the child up for adoption, or abort it. Therefore, within the first six months of being informed about the pregnancy, men should have the right to financially disassociate themselves from it. Right? What does that mean? It means, just like Dave Chappelle put it, even though he was joking, he wasn't joking. If it's your body, your choice, it should be my wallet, my choice. Men should have some kind of deciding factor to play in this, but we don't. We don't get one. The state does not want to be responsible, so they make it men's responsibility, despite that men don't have the same amount of, of, of reproductive pharmaceutical options that women have. We don't have the same decision-making power, especially if you have somebody who's willing to take advantage of a vulnerable situation without consulting him in the slightest. Let's continue. And no woman can make you put a seed in her. So the original act was the responsibility of a man. True. I mean, it's All right. right. But there's no responsibility of the woman. See, I'm not saying men have no responsibility. I'm simply laying out situations and cases where it's clear women have a responsibility in this too. That doesn't really yield you donors. 
So the more you give her unbridled leeway, the more black women support you. And again, y'all tell me, how many times have y'all seen black women on social media showing this video and supporting it, right? Very little pushback, only a few have. But for the most part, they're loving this, which is what Umar is looking forward to. This is what he wanted. There you go. So did the black men willingly leave the household or was it the system that was it was systemic black? right so how if we if, if we giving them grace for them having to do it without us but it wasn't our fault how but, are we not getting that same grace and that same respect i'm gonna tell you why right huh. i'm gonna tell you why because black men as the leaders of the community now right. we can't be leaders here's the here's the question we got to make that? here's the here's the question because the argument y'all make yeah feeds into the feminist agenda Okay. It's mm. an argument that says, I don't want the responsibility. I'm a leader. I don't want to fix shit. Yeah. Mm. Right? First of all, that, that too is a disingenuous argument. When they're talking about black men being leaders and whether or not the women will tolerate it, what we're ultimately saying is that when it comes to leadership, what we have going on now is a state-sponsored structure, as I pointed out, where the women have been, de have been determined to be the, the gatekeepers and the buffer class. They've been offered nominal, you know, it, it, they don't get paid as much as white women, for example, but they get paid. In other words, they tend to, the deal was for them, they had access. They could go to college. If they were poor, they could get welfare support, which comes in a variety of forms, right? They get free birth control and all kinds of options available there. When it comes to middle-class life, they could get access to college, right? And they can get white-collar jobs and they can be employed more readily than black men, right? These are options that are available to them. And in exchange, they've been determined to be the gatekeepers. They're the buffer class. This is why if you look at the Democrat Party, when they want to talk to the black community, they go to black women first, right? These are the kind of general ideas that kind of take place. So when you're talking about communal leadership, it's not that black men don't want to be leaders. It's that what we're up against is not just women who've decided one day they wanted to lead. That's not what it is. It's state-sponsored women who've been able to take advantage of the average black male's position to not be able to operate to the same degree with the same level of stability. That's what's being exploited here and that's what's not being said. That's what the daily wrap-up crew are trying to articulate. And Umar knows that they can't, but he knows it's systemic and he knows that systemic aspect is not just the underdevelopment of black males. It's also, right, the funding and the foregrounding of black women and girls. Even taking my son to his new college. Far more black women there than men. More women than men, period. But far more black women than men. Like I said, I saw three brothers. This is what I mean. Right? Mm -hmm. I'm going to fall back and let her run everything. That's what the feminists tell. They say, look at them, making excuses for why they can't be better men, making excuses for why they can't make better men. You understand? Mm. Your argument feeds the feminist narrative. That's, not, that's not what we're making that's excuses not, for. Not, I'm we, saying I am the better man, but yeah. I shouldn't be held responsible because you wanted to choose a Pookie and a Ray Ray. That's not me. I work too hard in my life. And I'm going to go back to what I said. Pookie and Ray Ray shouldn't exist. And the only reason I Pookie and Ray Now, see, I just told you that Pookie and Ray Ray is, is really a dehumanizing way of talking about class which when you talk about poverty is ultimately manufactured because at the end of the day, even for the brothers that want to say that they are doing so much better than everybody else, again, 
you're making six figures i don't care if it's because you own your own business or you're working you're still less than 10 percent of the black community it's, just, it's always going to be a small percentage of brothers that are doing well the manu the poverty is what's being manufactured the limited options is what's being manufactured that's the part of it that these brothers are trying to articulate. And they're saying this is a statistic, a, a, a systemic agenda that black men have been facing for centuries. It's not new and it's not something that's their fault. They're facing something that's been at war with them since they've been in the fucking womb. And what we're witnessing is the way in which women have been weaponized to operate in their own interests against their own men and boys. But you can't say that and expect donations. Ray Ray exists because we're not in the community making those boys the men they need to be. Do you All see right. that? And, she don't um, get a Pookie if you didn't allow a Pookie. But she right. got an Eli. She ain't come to Eli, she went to Pookie. And that's what we're trying to <laughs> she say. She wouldn't have I had a Pookie if we I didn't allow too one. too hard in my life. Right. She wouldn't have had a Pookie if we didn't but, allow but, one. But Dr. Umar, we- Men uh, supposed uh, to make the brace the boys. Right, right. We as, men, we as men is holding other men accountable for, for the same thing that you talking what, about what, right what, now. What, what are we doing for the young brothers in the street? So What you mean, mentoring them? Now I mean, he's a great father. I ain't my, talking, my that's individual, I, that's good, uh -huh. but that's individualism. Yeah. What are we doing collectively? You know, that's disingenuous, right? So it's individual when you talk about men who are doing something in the community, right? But it's collective only if black men are failing and they're trifling. See, really, there is a, a, a large scale kind of framework we could use to understand, to, to understand how black men do contribute to helping with kids. And, and I'm not talking about their own kids. I'm talking about mentoring. There are plenty of brothers that have been doing it. And you know what the next level of mentorship has become? The internet. You know how many young men come to these spaces for advice and insight in ways that my generation never had access to? I got brothers that can reach me in a relative short, relatively short period of time to ask me questions. And they're growing up in the middle of fucking Iowa somewhere by themselves with no men. See, the internet has become the next level of mentorship. But again, we don't look at it that way because the mainstream sees this space as derogatory. But the reality of it is, is that young men have been tapping in and now they're able to find mentors who may not live in the same city, state or household, but can still provide them with insight and advice about manhood. Why do you think these people freaked out so much about Andrew Tate? It wasn't just because of what Tate was saying. It was because of how many boys they started to find out were listening. And the same goes before Tate with Kevin Samuels. I know brothers personally that could that, that were hardcore nationalists that hated everything Kevin had to say. And they reached out to me to tell me that the only reason that they're going to start talking about Kevin is because they had nephews, uh, you know, who were much younger than them that were quoting Kevin Samuels. So when Umar is sitting here talking about how there are no, no brothers mentoring, no, actually, the mentorship has continued in the way I described before in terms of the hands on elements of it. But now the reach has expanded because you have brothers online that are able to mentor in a lot of different ways. The only reason people don't like it is because they're also challenging the standards and expectations that black men have been living under for the longest. I mean, I was going to say this for later, but the reality is, look, black men have been revolting from the expected roles that they've been pushed to play and groomed to play from childhood. They've been revolting against it. They've been fighting against their own programming and they've been redefining what roles they want to play. The interesting thing is it, it's, it's being critiqued for that, but black women started doing it 40 years ago. Black men only started to redefine their roles publicly lately, and it's raising all kinds of hell. 
Well, black men have, have been revolting against it. They've been revolting against socially, socially expected roles, responsibilities, uh, socially ex- accepted uh, roles of family formation, meaning that she, she determines how the family is formed and she determines whether or not you can even get to stay the fuck in it. She determines all of that. You, you just sit and wait for her to tell you whether you can be a part of it or you're going to have to go to family court, get a divorce, get a child, uh, child support sanction put against you. She makes those decisions. You're just set to receive. That's, that's what contemporary black family formation has become in too many instances. She makes the decision. And if you stand against being put in a position where your well-being is defined by what her whim is, then the problem is you. And now you're against family formation in the black community. No, black men are challenging that expectation. They're challenging what kind of relationships they want to be in. They're even redefining how they want to fight the quote unquote system. If they want to fight it, how they want to fight it. They're having different dialogues about it rather than waiting for others to tell them the same shit we've been hearing for 50 years about what they're supposed to do, which is essentially as black men fall on the sword for everybody around you. No, you got brothers that are 13 years old that are saying no to that shit. And it's not because they fear dying. It's because they no longer want to have these decisions made for them in such dehumanizing fashion that they can't make their own decisions about how they want to sacrifice their own lives and what for. Even if the sacrifice is no sacrifice, that's their choice. And what I'm seeing black men doing is withdrawing their choice. They're withdrawing from having other people tell them what they're supposed to do and they want to make their own choices. And I'm hearing brothers having conversations around what kind of choices they want to make, even to the extent of whether or not they want to participate in a community at all. See, these are things that black men never were asked. They never even entertained it for themselves. We just assumed what we were told. And now you have black men that are questioning it and all hell is breaking loose. Because now that's going to require a new arrangement. If there's going to continue to be a community as we understand it, now you actually have to converse with black men about why they should participate and on what grounds and how and why. And here's the thing. I'm not judging what the options on the table are that brothers are entertaining. I'm, I'm, I'm supporting their right to entertain it and decide it because nobody ever asked them. Nobody. Nobody asked black men what they wanted to do. They told black men what you were supposed to do. And if you didn't fall on your fucking sword, you were you were all kinds of whatever terms they wanted to use. No, that's no longer enough. No longer enough. Even boys are challenging this shit. And I support the right for black men and boys to do it. Whether it's ugly, messy, whether you like it or whether you don't, it's a process. Wherever it goes, positive or negative, it's still a process. So I put my my little two cents into the bucket and we keep it rolling and see what this process takes us into. But at the end of the day, as long as brothers are not just going to accept what they're being told to do and they're willing to ask these questions and challenge themselves about what options should exist, I'm all for it. And that's what Umar is withdrawing from these black men, the option, even the boys, the choice to determine what role they want to play in what we call community. They don't want to just be told anymore. Here we go. Effectively, as men, mm-hmm. to change the trajectory for black boys in the streets right now. I, I Nothing. We're, we're being a talking shit. Yeah, I mean, you could take it's it. It's not going to get better mm-hmm. unless we put hands on deck. 
The reason the athletes and the rappers are the role models mm -hmm. is the professional black man moved out the hood. Where the dentist at? He ain't in the black community mm -hmm. no more. Mm -hmm. Where the lawyer at? Where the business owner at? Where right. your city council person at? We abandon black boys and then we blame black men for poor choices in mates that they should not even have to make. If I think he misspoke. I, mean, I think he meant to say we blame black women. And he was challenging that, um, you know, for a minute I got excited. I thought he was actually talking about black men from a humane standpoint, but he went right back to the same bullshit. Uh, hold on. Um, let me back up a little. I apologize. Um, I do some housekeeping here. I want to support the brothers who are, are willing to support me. So, um, thank you. Okay. So shout out to Chronicles of Noir Inc. Thank you for your input on this topic. Much appreciated. Um, right. Cedric Spears. Appreciate that support. Display name. Appreciate that. Brian McMurray, appreciate it. So why doesn't Omar talk about the collective effort created by Obama, my brother's keeper, that was sabotaged, sabotaged by the feminist male and female? True. True. Shout out to uh, Mr. Com Mr. Com. Appreciate that. Became a mem member. Welcome to the Onyx Brotherhood. Uh, managing life's risks. Appreciate the support. There I said it. Salute, Doc. Appreciate that. Uh, quasi, uh, quasi, uh, quasi, I apologize if I mispronounced that. Uh, black men are to blame. It's a false narrative over 600 years old and was never true, but people are failing uh, or falling <laughs> with a banana in the tailpipe. <laughs> That's right. Uh, all right. Uh, Andre416 says, Dr. Umar uh, brought shame to the Johnson name. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, shout out to Chosen1997. Uh, says, wondering, a wonderful breakdown of issues. Appreciate that. Um, let's see. Let's see, we got Alan. It says, for being the voice we never had, salute. God damn, man. That, that hit me. Appreciate that. Back of the classroom <laughs> for the collection plate. Much appreciated. Back of the classroom. Um, BZ, uh, BZ Glover uh, says, Doc, you have no idea how much you mean to me. I appreciate every time you show up on YouTube. I'm a 34 year old, young, or year young CEO of a company I built since. 2016, and it's almost seven figures. You gave me a vocab, and I'm proud of all the men who teach. Get a man, man. Congratulations. I appreciate that, man. That's me having me up here crying, man. You know, you gotta chill. Uh, Miko or Michael, I hope I didn't mispronounce that, says, uh, Brother God tell us, uh, tells us throughout the Bible to do judgment. You're a perfect example of doing judgment. Love you, bro. Man, I love y'all too. Man, appreciate that. Um, Growth talk. There you go, my boy. Um, when we do right, it's individualism. We, an individual, does something wrong. It's all of us. Right. We can't win one way or the other. Exactly. Exactly. Now, y'all hit the like button. There's over a 1,000 people in here, so please hit the like button. If nothing else, support the channel. If you're not willing to donate, like, share, subscribe, join, uh, donate. If you have not subscribed yet, the very least you can do is hit the like button, please. All right. So let's continue. If we did a better job raising our boys the right way. At the end of the day, if I'm going to call myself a man, mm. the ultimate responsibility for reconstruction of the black community rests with me. Mm. Yes, they have a role. Mm. Yes, they have responsibility. Mm -hmm. But as a man, as a leader, 
to say I can't fix this shit unless she changes, that's not the definition of a See, and that's that's a maligning of the argument. It's not a question of I can't fix it unless she changes. It's a it's a challenge to say, I see how this is systemically being used against me. If you're not willing to actually acknowledge the way you're being used against me, I'll go elsewhere. Or I'll focus my resources on whom I deem to be worthy. Now, for me, when he talks about being a man, especially in regard to boys, my whole thing is it's not about making boys so much, uh, you know, like they follow in my footsteps. It's, it's really helping them become who they want to be. So I'll give you an example. I didn't make, I didn't push my son to become, uh, you know, an Africana studies scholar. Not at all. I didn't even push him to become a black male uh, uh, advocate even though I hope I've extended that to him just, you know, by osmosis. But um, what I tried to do was help him develop who he wanted to be. So he decided on his own. Matter of fact, I had to find out from other family members. Now, he didn't even tell me he wanted to be a biologist. I don't know where the hell he got that from. Well, actually, he did tell me there's a brother on YouTube that does a lot of work as a biologist that inspired him. He wanted to be a, a biologist. So my job is not to make him another black studies professor that operates in my line and reads all my books and continues to write in the vein of which I know. That's not my job. My job is to help him become what he wants to be. I provide him insight and support when I can. I check him when it's necessary. And other than that, especially once he's of age and he'll be 18 on July 8th, he only got a little bit of time left. Once he's of age, I step back. Do your thing, young man. And the reason I do that is because that's the kind of space I needed to become who I was. I'm re I was rebellious. You're not going to tell me who to be. I'm going to figure it out. So with my son, I'm not going to tell him who to be. I'm going to help him be who he chooses to be. If he needs inspiration, if he needs dialogue, if he needs help, it's either me or many a brother I have contact with that I will send him to. But the goal is not to replicate me. It's to make sure that these young brothers can grow into who they want to be and show them how they can contribute that. Preferably to the next young brother that needs the same help that he wasn't going to get elsewise. But anyway, here we go. Man, I don't see. Yeah. I think we're not we're on two different accords. Like, yeah. I don't think we're saying that. What I'm saying is I am I'm capable of being that leader, that provider. I've worked hard in my life. You get what I'm saying? I should not have to do. You still go back to individual. But I only feel like we tell black men that we have to now deal with masculine women, women with children. Why by is other she masculine? Because she's had to raise the kids alone. Bullshit. She's masculine because she chose an option that meant that she didn't have to defer to a man. She wanted to make those decisions. She wanted to be independent. And their, and their mothers and grandmothers told them that's what they should describe for. That's what they, sh they should push for. That independence that did not require a man. That's what they pushed for. They wanted that. This narrative he's trying to use that they fell into this because they were victims. No. Much of this was a choice. You didn't have to look. If you're going to have a situation where you have poor families migrating, you know, to the north and the Midwest. Post-World War II. Right. And it became clear that the women were the only ones that could get stable resources until men had jobs. It didn't have to be a given that women choose to be, quote unquote, independent. That could have been a, a temporary strategy used until, you know, men were able to secure employment. But that's not how it went. 
the option, and this is what we talk about when we talk about Moynihan scissors, the options to be independent despite whether men were employed or not is what's at, at odds here, what's, what's part of the discussion here. And many a woman chose independence regardless of whether men were employed or they weren't. They wanted independence. They wanted to not have to defer or engage a man. That was a choice that many made. Now we can get into a debate about how much of that is, is involved in this, but he doesn't, they don't even entertain that. That's not even considered an option there, which tells you what the agenda is. Not one woman, so brother, you mean to tell me a I, whole I, community. So you mean to tell me I, the only woman I can look forward in my life is a masculine woman that has kids by no, other men? No, That's what I have to no, look forward to? But I'm see? telling you, mm. mistakes made by black men mm. systemically mm -hmm. gave rise to the conditions that allowed her to be masculine and made her end up with a man that you consider to be less than what he should be. And I'm telling you. You think this bullshit isn't happening to brothers who do have their shit together? It's not. It, 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 trying to frame this around whether men, men are weak or strong or successful or not, that's that goes again. That's the individualism he's actually pointing out. That's not dealing with the structural aspects of this, the systemic aspects of it. The problem that men are having is that whether you've succeeded by society standard or you failed, you're still dealing with too much of the same shit. That's the problem. If it was such that every man that made over 50,000 had a constructive family that was supportive and this and that, then it would just be a matter of income. But that's not what the problem is. Men across the economic strata are having the same issues. Now, of course you have some men that don't, but you have plenty too many that do. And this is why so many of these brothers are looking for other options, ranging from monkhood to traveling internationally. You know what it takes for a man to give up on dealing with women entirely or sex? I mean, this is, I've never seen an era like this before where you got men that are so tired of this bullshit that they're really willing to check out on sex altogether. But instead of actually trying to understand why that's happening or imagining what would actually have to happen to make so many men choose an option like that, we just blame the men and leave it at that because that's comfortable and it makes everybody feel good. Fuck that. Human beings respond to stimuli. Black men are human beings. Black men's actions, contrary to the myths that are being put out here, are not a product of, of poor decision-making, of failure. They're a response to stimuli. They're a response to a systemic stimuli that has been manufactured over generations through policy that allowed women options that men didn't have. And those women slowly turned around and said, if you can't do what I do, I don't need you. Or more than that, even if you can, I only want you on the terms I want you because ultimately I want to make the decisions and I don't want to be beholden to anybody. They sang songs about this shit. They made movies about this shit. I watched this shit grow from its infancy to its adulthood. I watched it. We watched it. And now you're going to tell black men that they didn't see what they saw. That's what you call gaslighting basically. Black men are responsible for her being masculine because we have not helped to raise them children. I, I am and not. when I say help them raise them children, I don't mean you as the stepdad. No, yeah, yeah, I, I mean me. you yeah, yeah. as an active member Definitely. in the community yes. where we go to every single parent black mother and say, how many sons you got to? How many sons you got to? Well, guess what? That's your son's 
big brother. That's your son's big brother. He taking him to school. He doing the homework. He going to spend a couple hours with him every Saturday. He got his. Okay, look. This communal idea that men are supposed to pick up the pieces and, and, and it only works as long as you have the deadbeat dad narrative in place. You push this idea that men have to go respond to the absence of other men who didn't handle their responsibilities. And I get why people like that narrative. It's nice and neat. It's clean. The edges are clean cut. It looks like it makes sense. But one of the things that you don't want to acknowledge is that one of the things that black men are revolting against is the production of family outside of their say-so and the use of that production to shame men into providing their resources when they have no say. And this is not just with women and society as general, which is true, but it's also with the individual women these brothers meet. They have sole decision-making, right? They get to decide what they want to do. And men have very little. And by the time you meet a woman that you kind of like and you find out she got a couple of kids, you don't have nothing to say about it. Right? But the social expectation that you somehow come in and provide from these kids, even if you've already raised your kids or you don't even have kids or never wanted kids, right? You're in a dynamic where these decisions about family formation have been made mainly by women. And they've been able to make those decisions with the support of the state. And you have men that are finally saying, you know what? I don't want to do that. I don't want to participate in it. And it doesn't even have to be a derogatory thing where you're talking about F, F single mother. It doesn't have to get derogatory. You just have men that have decided that that's not what they want. That's not the role they want to play. And I'm not talking about individuals. I'm saying collectively, black men are pushing back against the accepted narratives that they're supposed to accept family on the terms that women have established. It did not include men as a collective, let alone as an individual. And since men have no legal means or institutional means of pushing back against this narrative, men have decided to choose alternatives. I support men's rights to be able to do so until there's an, a better alternative on the table. But again, you got to make that all you got to make that proposal to men because men are tired of being told to fall on their swords and be quiet. Not going to work anymore. You're going to produce family on terms that don't include men beyond semen, and you're not going to provide them any resources, even in terms of policy. I gave you one example. I gave you several. Termination of parental obligation, right? Reinstituting re at-fault divorce standards, uh, mandatory paternity testing at birth. These are, these are political, pol these are policies that are designed to disrupt the manufacturing of a gynocracy that's state-sanctioned. And they allow black men to operate as participants in society on their own terms. But as long as you continue to support policies that undermine that, then black men have every right to withdraw from the participation. And keep in mind, as long as the primary group that's reproducing with these women, not only is it small, but they're men that are primarily able to be controlled more often than not, it's gonna continue to devolve own kids too mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but he's going to make time for you she got masculine because she had to become masculine in order to deal with the rape the abuse the domestic violence the the disappointments no. that men had in her life and also raising those kids and have to take care of herself all at the same time the black woman has been the be all in all in our community for half of a century and now we want to turn around and say because she didn't do it perfectly enough or remain feminine enough when she had to absorb our responsibilities has nothing to do with whether or not she did it perfectly or not enough. Not what we're talking about. We're talking about the way institutions and policies have been used to undermine black men. 
and to frame family and buffer class status at their expense. See, by framing it in this simplistic way, it's easy for even a five-year-old to say, wow, yeah, black men are horrible. They're, they're trifling. He's right. It's very easy. Easy to consume, easy to digest. Reality isn't always easy. Matter of fact, most of the time it isn't. It just, it just, it's just a matter of how much you include to discuss. Plus her own, that's insensitive and disingenuous. I don't. I don't yeah, believe. So. Yeah, I can't. I, mean, I guess I, I do understand. I, what, I understand what you're saying. I'm not taking you nothing back from that. To tell me something that we've done systemically to combat that. Men, uh, there's there you are, there are, me and her. I don't care about me are, and her. There, but there's plenty. Women of, and men. Mm-hmm. Women and men as a group in right. the community. You understand? Right. We gave birth to that. You see? So you say she had a couple kids already because she got she met men. She probably thought they was good. Some of them, they she left knew they, her. She knew they wasn't good. You don't know that, bro. See that? See that? He he was quick to say they thought they was good. You know what he's doing there is he's giving a, an innocent narrative, right? And I'm more than sure there are plenty of women that got in that scenario. They met a cat they thought was good, whatever. I'm not saying that doesn't exist, but I'm also adding what he's not willing to acknowledge that there are women that took advantage of the fact that they had policy to their benefit and that black men didn't took advantage of the fact that they can make the sole decisions about family formation, even with men that they knew didn't want families, didn't matter if they wanted them or not. They took advantage of their status at the expense of men because they wanted what they wanted. I can't tell you how many of my students over the last 25 years, young women had babies with men that they basically chose, even though they didn't want to say it. These women have been on birth control for a decade, but they all of a sudden got pregnant by the one dude that they really liked. Really? So they didn't have any say in it. It just happened, right? Okay. That's interesting. That's interesting. You knew that wasn't good. You're making assumptions about her. Would you make the same assumption if she was a white woman? Yes, I would. So you say. Yes, and don't get it twisted. White men are dealing with that too. The only difference is that over the last number of decades, their their collective wealth status kind of insulated them from some of this. In other words, when I first ran into uh, white men's rights activists, one of the things I noticed is that they didn't start up in the way I thought they should have until much later. Black men had been complaining for decades about uh, divorce, about child support, and that's because their feet were closer to the ground, right? You make $15,000 a year, somebody take half of that, you're going to feel it. White men in many ways had more resources. So these cats would get divorced. And and I've I've read some of their stories, right? They get divorced and then they go start another family. The first family, the mothers conditioned the kids to hate them. Now this broke many a white dude's heart, but he moved forward and built another family. And he worked, right? Worked around the clock. I'm not saying some of them don't work for their money. I'm not saying that they have more inherited wealth, but some of them do invest and so on and so forth. But in order to achieve at a certain level, you got to put a certain number of hours in, right? And these cats would talk about how much they were working before they lost several families. Had kids that hated them, but everybody had a handout waiting for them to pay for college, pay mortgages, pay child support, pay alimony. It would take until their second or third divorce before these dudes would get pissed off and say, okay, what the fuck is going on here? And this was in the 2000s, the early 2000s, when I started to hear more white men grumbling after their second and third divorces about whether or not something was going on. Black men figured it out, I think, much earlier. We just didn't have the means to respond in any kind of coherent, uh, large-scale way. But brothers, you know, and the reason we figured it out wasn't because, you know, we're some special magical Negroes. It was because we were closer to the ground. 
You don't have to lose as much. You got $5 in your pocket and somebody takes out $250, you are going to feel it. If you make $100,000 and someone takes $50, you're going to be pissed, but you're not worried about where your next meal is coming from. Black men figured this shit out. White dudes took a little longer because they had more resources. Their feet weren't as close to the ground, but they felt it and they're feeling it and they are pissed. But the thing is, and I've said this before, no group of men were really prepared for their women to call a battle, call war against them. No, no group of men were ready for that. None of them were. None of them were. And so now you have men trying to figure out. And, and I think what I can say at this point is men have figured out a variety of options in response. 30, 40 years ago, men hadn't. Caught off guard, just getting picked off left and right. Now you have a collective of men that are figuring out how to deal with warfare from the women that they've grown up with or spent years laying next to. You know what that has to do to you to figure out how to go to war with someone who's waged war on you but sleeps right next to you and will take your fucking kids and half of what you have at a whim. It took decades for men to figure out how to respond, but men did. And this is why people are freaking the fuck out because they don't like the responses. Of course, this is this has become what I call a cold war, right? But it is what it is and men are responding and people don't like it, especially post pandemic in a crumbling economy where men are refusing to be resources. See, the weight of men's decisions are being felt more than they ever have been because men decided to respond at this juncture. You told us you didn't need us. You told us you didn't want us. Clearly, you still wanted sperm. Clearly, you still wanted resources from us at your whim. We're withdrawing all of that at the worst time possible. That's what it's taken. But don't get it twisted. This is not limited to black America. We're the canaries in the coal mine, but we ain't the only ones going through this shit. We're just closer to the ground than other groups economically. Come on. Listen, like I said, I... I feel like as a black we man... We don't hold them all accountable because black men date outside their race more than every other man put together. I said we. Y'all three. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I but can't e disprove e that because I don't know you personally. Even that. Yeah. But if we look at the numbers, black men marry black women at an 80, 87% rate where black women marry outside of their race um, or they, they marry outside at a 92%. Black women that's do not... No, no, no. You're that's wrong. That's percentages of... You're wrong. That's not that much. Black women do not marry out the race more than black men. That's I'm not wrong. saying that. But the, the percentages black ain't that women, far off. That's black women have one of the highest fastest growing interracial marriage rates mm -hmm. but her interracial marriage rate pales in comparison he's exaggerating the brother's actually right it's not too much of a difference in terms of marriage you still got you know majority like i said in the beginning of this broadcast majority of groups stick with their own and that includes black america about 80 what it, it, out of married black men 85 percent of them are roughly married to black women black women you know in terms of interracial relationships is far lower but the way he's framing this as many nationalists tend to, is that this is somehow due to black women's loyalty to black men, right? This is a convenient argument. I would argue instead that this has a lot to do with the social image, or, or I should say the, um, the image of black men and black women separately on a global scale. And the reality is um, when it comes to sexuality, black men have been sexualized in very different ways, but sexualized nonetheless. Right. We are seen as walking fallacies to women across race, especially when you had the popularization of porn, which I can only tell you during the pandemic 
expanded that much more. Black men are seen as viable sexual beings. And here's the thing. If fucking is what gets people to give, you know, to come in and try and get with you, what you will inevitably find is that people are going to actually connect beyond sex at some point. Now with black women, it's different, right? Plenty of other groups are willing to have sex with black men, with black women, excuse me. And they see it as a, you know, kind of a conquering of the wild as it were. But when you want to have children and marry, most men across race tend to have their own forms of conservatism. And there are certain elements in regard to behavior, especially in terms of Western women, notions of divorce and family court practice that most men don't want to deal with. Especially when they read the stories about what black men endure. They don't want to do it. Black men have no more options internationally because of the dynamics of gender, the dynamics of sexuality. It does start with a degree of um, uh, exotification, exoticization. It does start with that. It does. This is what I was talking about earlier when I said my son, when I took him to his college, the women that were approaching him overwhelmingly were white. Now, my son is is fairly indifferent. He's real happy, happy-go-lucky. You know, I mean, I could swear he, he does a lot of weed, but truth be told, if that was the case, he'd been doing it since he was four. He's just real like that. But the women that were pushing each other aside to come introduce themselves to him, they were mostly white. And he was indifferent about it. He wasn't chasing none of them. But my point is, they were coming after him. Some of them were coming because he's this tall kid. Some of them were coming because they wonder what's going on sexually. Some of them were coming because they enjoyed what he had to say at different points that they heard him say. They were attracted to his, to his intellect. There are a lot of different reasons they were coming at him. The black women I saw there, I even talked to a few. They didn't have options there, really. White men and other groups of men that were there, even though in smaller number, were not chasing them. Right? At the end of the day, these dynamics play out sexually different on an international stage. And black men, especially when you think about American black men, the way we've been marketed to the world, yes, you have the criminality element, you have the incarceration or the carceral element, but then you also have pop culture. When I went to Korea, when I was an undergrad, at, I think I was probably 18, 19 years old, the first thing they said to me was rap like Tupac, right? The international image of black men was a virile, young, masculine being that was seen as um, being dangerous, being sexy, and having a large penis. That has been the ongoing image, the black male image in the minds of the international public, especially when it comes to women. Now that image in and of itself doesn't necessarily lead to people wanting to necessarily marry brothers, although that's there. But what happens is it forces the interaction. And when you're talking about American men that may have more means than in other places, yeah, you're gonna generate relationships beyond just sex. It is what it is. Anyway, I think this is the last of it to what black men have been doing interracially for four or five decades. You oh, understand? She don't even come close to what we're doing black, interracially. Black fathers are in a home more than any other group or race. Okay. So but what, that, that has no value? It does have value, but we're going to put that up against the other statistic. Two-thirds of our kids are being raised by the women. Two no. Majority of our kids are being birthed to unmarried mothers. The fathers are still participating by and large in other ways. They're just not married to them. Sometimes they live in the same household. They're just not married. 
but they're still participants in their children's lives. Thirds of our kids are being raised by the women. Mm -hmm. And like I said, when I say being raised, I'm not saying it needs to be a father. I would like a father in that house, yeah. but I know it's not enough of us to go around. Yeah. We are not even being accountable to the boys in the hood. And we're complaining about the women. I'm ar I argue with women who are making babies yeah, with the irresponsible men that we didn't raise correctly. But she can't be irresponsible, though, right? Or more than that, she can't be purposeful in her willingness to have babies that the men she might even be with don't even want. But she'll do it because she wants to do it. We can't. We can't talk about that either, though. It's just male irresponsibility. Okay, my bad. That's bullshit. All right. Is, is bullshit. That's wimp ass, weak man shit. No. Take responsibility for our shit. Stop scapegoating yeah. them. Yeah, I Taking responsibility starts with acknowledging what the fuck is actually happening on the ground and dealing with the reality of it rather than scapegoating or deferring to pander or secure any kind of resource from any fucking body. No. It starts with what's really happening to people. And you can't just sell this one narrative about the deficient black male and this, the victimized black woman and refuse to acknowledge any of the data or the, or the or the historical scenarios that actually point out black male vulnerability. Because again, it's not just about women, it's sanctioned women, it's state sanctioned women that have resources from policy and institutional support that they can use at their behest that you as a black male do not have. That's what we're talking about here. He's trying to present it like you got a bunch of dudes that are just pissed off at women and then telling you they're weak. Well, with that scenario, I would say so too, but that's not what the fuck this is. She got a battery in her back and several generations of brainwashing, basically. The hatred, the contempt for men is being passed down. And many a black male in here can tell you they saw it happen in their own families. They watched it be passed down. They watched the women they grew up with, who grew up and became women, pass the same hatred to the men they dealt with that they saw their mothers teach them to have. It's not like we're a separate group that never saw anything going on in our households. We grew up in the same spaces. The scenario that Umar's painting, we grew up in the same households. We saw shit too. But for some reason, we the only ones that had to make our own microphone to speak our own experiences. Did anybody want to hear from us? They wanted to tell us what's happening. I agree. I could agree to that. All I'm that, saying that, is, look at all we could be doing better, man. Oh, half, the, half the black boys in the fourth grade can't read. What black men doing about that systemically? Not, not enough. I, I know I, what I, I'm doing about it. I'm I building agree. a school for it too. But if the majority of your teachers, even on the racial basis, are women, I don't think the question alone is what are black men doing about it. And in particular, if we don't have policy resources, we don't have institutional resources. My question is. What are the women who are already teaching in those schools willing to do about it? How the fuck do you do your daughters graduate and your sons not? I met women who who had sons and would build and develop programs for Black Girl Rocks, and 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 receive resources on behalf of helping girls advance, but they had sons. Some of those boys were literally sleeping in the fucking park, and their mothers didn't even have daughters. We're investing in black girl rock programs to advance girls they didn't even fucking have. 
I'm not saying black men can't do anything about this. Why we have a 17 point agenda. We've listed out quite a few things. And in regard to education, we have a whole section on that too. Check it. I checked the agenda out. But the reality is women are already in place. Teachers, principals, administrators, chancellors, they're already in place. What's happening for the boys? Okay. Don't worry. I'll wait. Of them. Mm -hmm. But systemically, as black men, what are we doing about that? Nothing. Black, black, black boys are the most unemployed teenager in America. What black men doing about that? Not See, the Pookie and Ray Ray, you kept talking about? Mm -hmm. We letting them raise right before our eyes. And then we want to criticize us for ending up with one when we should have made sure there were none. Listen, we all got we all got choices. Just like if I choose to live a lifestyle You're that with could, individualism, that could, I can't deal with that. That's part of choices. No, it's not. We have to deal with this systemically. He brought up a question earlier, and he said, "Did we make these problems on our own, or was there some, some systemics involved?" Mm -hmm. It was systemics. Okay. In 1970, they shut down the factories. They took out the industrial building mm -hmm. jobs. Uh, 1980 dropped off the crack and the AIDS. Mm -hmm. 1990, the Bill Clinton crime bill. There's systemic factors at play. Mm -hmm. You totally. Divorce your analysis from any systemic fact. Well, what he's not regarding is those systemic issues were particularly aimed at black men. When you talk about the 1970s, black men's employment strategy was was blue collar work. Hell, many of them actually put women, wives, daughters through college with that industrial work. So when those jobs were taken overseas, it hit black men to a disproportionate degree. So black women largely in the 20th century went from servant positions, whether they were maids or housekeepers taking care of white women's kids and transitioned into low level white collar employment. So when deindustrialization hit, it hit black men the hardest. Now you can talk about an individual and tell him what he needs to do to scramble and somehow make up that money, but it hit a large collective of black men whose employment strategy was usually based on labor, blue collar labor. That had an incredible hit. And it wasn't an accident that while that was happening, you had the war on drugs. Because for many who didn't have any other opportunities outside of blue collar labor that was no longer there, drugs became the option. It was quick, it was easy. And we saw with Generation X, and you can look at the stats, a generation of men who were vastly impacted by this. But at that same time where those brothers were making money off of drugs, you wanna tell me they weren't supporting families? Because that's not the comfortable narrative. I get that. But you'd be surprised how many were. And you'd be surprised how many women, mothers, wives were open to it, supportive of it. I know women personally in the 1980s that sought men out that were drug dealers, not because they love drugs or whatever, but because it was disposable income. It was quickly gotten. And here's the rub. If he got shot or arrested. She wasn't up worrying about him. I mean, I'm not saying that, you know, no women didn't care about the men they were with, but there were women that sought out men that had disposable income and readily accepted that he might die or go to prison for life. They accepted that when they sought him out, took advantage of what he had to offer when he had it. And when he left or died, moved on. We're going to act like that doesn't happen. We went from blue collar employment to the drug era and that had a lasting impact. And then we saw policies in the 1990s, especially in places like California, where you had three strikes laws that put them right back in prison and left them there. But here's the thing. Right now, we're seeing black men doing better than and worse than everybody, despite the resources extended to others, not because of them. Employed black men are doing slightly better. Black men own more businesses. 
I've been talking about this stuff for years, but I think uh, if you check Medium Man's channel, he's been doing some of this stuff more recently. Check out the numbers he's presenting. Black men are doing better and worse than people think, but the worst has a lot to do with incarceration. It does. And it has to do with unemployment. It has to do with homelessness because we are a community that lacks wealth. When the pandemic hit, the only reason we're talking about women, black women in particular, being the greatest group, the, the highest number of, uh, of people being evicted is only because we don't talk about how many black men didn't even have a place to stay in the first fucking place because nobody cared. And many of those brothers didn't have resources or support. And yet you still see black men who, when employed, are doing better. Definitely better than what they're being talked about, more in the middle class than people want to admit. But the reality is we don't have real conversations about black men. We have this bullshit that's designed to pass a narrative that exclusively benefits one demographic at the expense of black men and boys live reality. This at all. You ain't mentioned one. You can be talking about her and Pookie and Ray Ray with the kids. You ain't said shit about the systemics. That's exactly what white folks want you to do. Because That's what white I, folks want you to I'm do. Saying Ignore made... what I've done to your women and scapegoat her. Because that's what she's doing to you. She's ignoring what the system did to you. And she's going to scapegoat you. And, and We're they, both and... scapegoating each other. Okay, that's fair. Okay, so that only took us, what, how far into this interview? 46 minutes? For him to acknowledge that that even exists, even though he's going to downplay it. He did just admit that it existed, but he's severely downplaying its impact. The impact of the willing the willingness to scapegoat black men because here's the thing black men have been scapegoated since slavery we're easy we're an easy target so when black women participate in that scapegoating it's easy to do there's no real pushback in the last 40 years of this kind of stereotyping of black men i've not seen any significant pushback by anybody against the depiction of black men in these popular stereotypical frames that feminists and the larger mainstream are willing to propagate about black men. That's Your analysis it. is feeding the gender war. It's not solving it. Mm. Listen, nah, I, 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 I don't mind us holding the right? women accountable. I don't okay. mind us holding the men accountable. Right? Yeah. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Because the scale of accountability is much different in my assessment. We've already talked about black men. Been doing it for generations now. See, the reason so much of my channel and my publications are about, you know, really explaining this gynocracy and what's going on in the black community, it's not because I have this hatred for women. It's this, this is a deflected bullshit argument, so you don't have to actually listen to what I'm saying. The reason I spend so much time doing it is the accompanying argument about black men has been entertained from every vantage point possible for generations. Even Shahrazad Ali said it in the 1980s. Nobody holds black women accountable. Black women have the black feminists have this fantastical idea that somehow everybody's holding them accountable and they're being misjudged. No, that's been black men. Most black men are not prepared to articulate their issues with black women. Most of them aren't. And 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 by and large, and I've said this before as well, when politicians come to the black community looking to see what it is we want, even though they have no plans to give it to us in exchange for our votes. Black women can tell them what the community needs, but more importantly, they can tell them what black women need. When they ask black men, black men tell them what the community needs. Most black men do not have an argument for what black men need because we've been subtly taught that the focus just on ourselves is inherently sexist, selfish, exploitive, but women can. And we support when women do. More black men applaud when women stand up and tell you what they need. 
But it's only now that men are starting to say, wait a minute. She can talk about the community to some extent, but she mostly talks about herself. Who talks for me? When they put a mic in my face, I talk about what the community needs as a whole. Most brothers don't know how to talk to, to talk about what's to their advantage or what's necessary for them because we've never isolated ourselves as a demographic. Women initiated that with feminism and black women took it from white feminists. Black men never did it. In contrast to the accusations that levied at them by feminists, black men never isolated themselves as a demographic and came up with policies that only benefited themselves. Most black men can't speak to you about what would benefit themselves. But when we're going to hold the system accountable as well. That's and if we're going to hold the system accountable, that also means we got to make our own systems too. Our black men have not been manly in quite some time. And this is that bullshit. He says in quite some time, I tell him there's never a time where black men weren't men. It's just a matter of what you choose to pay attention to and what you choose to sweep under the rug. And I've known generations of fucking men who don't get any fanfare, who don't get any applause, and don't get any acknowledgement. They don't have movies made after them. Nobody's telling TV stories about them. You only, you only hear it in individual families occasionally. But as I've said before, you go to you go to mama's house, mama's big house, you see a picture of her husband who died 20 years ago. Maybe a story or two that'll come about, but the reality of what that man contributed is often ignored. You'd be lucky if his great grandkids know his name. And he bought Big Mama's house. But anyway. When it comes to raising boys. How would you suggest that black men take on the role of leadership? With, Especially with, when there's an attack on yeah, black masculinity. Without women willing to listen to us. You get what I'm saying? How do we prove our worth or take back the take leadership care of the boys? Role? You want the women back? Take care of these damn boys. They run in the hood, killing people at will. Flunking out of school, following the lead of the gangster rappers. There's a whole bunch of stuff we can do mm -hmm. that ain't got nothing to do with the women, boys and men. Do you understand? Deal with the boys and the men. Leave her out of it and go straight to the boys and you'll get her respect back. That's part of that bullshit as well. Because what too many black men are starting to discover is that no matter what they do, her respect doesn't come back. It's not because, contrary to what we've been told, we lack. It's because they don't know how to extend that respect. They've not been socialized to respect manhood, masculinity, or men. I'm not, I mean, that's largely the truth. It's not about individual situations. Of course, you can find an individual that respects men. I'm not, stop with this simplistic shit. The reality is, in terms of large-scale social programming in Black families, manhood is in fatherhood for that matter as well is pretty much seen as a lost art and the irony to that is it's considered a lost art even when fathers are in the goddamn family doing the job you know how many black men have reached out to me and told me about how many years they put in work supporting families even stepfathers only to be ignored or treated like they weren't ever there well look um about almost well, we had the 247 mark <sighs> i think i've covered enough of this bullshit um at the end of the day I, it, this is exhausting but this is the kind of shit that's become common this is the perspective on black men that people want to have choose to have revel in having
and they're comfortable with using you as the footstool to advance their agenda at your expense and the expense of the black male image. Now, can black men do something about it? I would argue they are, but it's in process. Question is, where do we want to take this process to, fellas? Where do we want to go with it? To me, it starts with acknowledging reality for what it is and including the missing parts to the dialogue that nobody wants to include. That's what I think men have been doing in this space for years. Now it's time to raise the question, where do we want to take it? So we got a number of options. We got monkhood, we got Idmore, we got passport bros. We got a number of different philosophies in play about how black men want to respond to this. Now there needs to be a more collective decision amongst men and boys about where we want to go with this. And that's what I'm hoping will take place. That's what I'm attempting to inaugurate, but I'm not going to do so using stereotypical narratives designed to downplay black men for my own advancement or for the advancement of any demographic that wants to excel at the expense of black men and boys. And trust me, as an academic, it's real easy to do. You want to be famous. You want to be well-supported, well-funded as an academic. Talk shit about black men. Watch how far your career will advance. If you are willing to tell that lie and dehumanize black men, you will go far. Standing up for black men will leave you where you are for the most part. So I come to brothers, share what I know, listen, learn. I invite brothers to share their stories. And I talk to y'all because I wanna know what we wanna do about it, but I'm not gonna ask the question with, with a disingenuous approach to it, designed to downplay black men. I'm not gonna do that bullshit because I've seen too many black men sacrifice themselves for those around them and for, for me as well. I've benefited from the sacrifices of black men. I've watched those black men, including my father, break his back to do what he can against forces that nobody else wants to acknowledge even fucking exist. And I've watched it happen. Now, I am grateful to many of the women in my family that sacrificed in their own way to make sure we could be here. I'm not denying their contributions or their humanity. But I am saying that black men as a whole, our contributions have been swept under the rug. And that I won't tolerate. So I look forward to hearing your opinions. I look forward to hearing your thoughts. You know, I look forward to hearing what you have to say we can do and what we should do from here. That's a discussion I think we should be able to have in a space that's not determined by any other demographics, whims, but by us. All right? Y'all have a good one. Enjoy this evening. And uh, remember to reach out, tell the brother what's going on. And this closing I'm about to play, just so you know, is, um, is, is basically some music that I... Um, that I petitioned Green Gorilla to make. I paid him. The man does some brilliant work. So check out the music. And I will see y'all soon. Peace.